Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are in no position to be able to defend ourselves in any way whatsoever. Ireland is defenceless. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. Help us. Without G backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is, then it wouldn't have gone anywhere. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We are going to come back to the active travel and to the bus connects problems this morning. I know Fiona was talking about them. While I was away and the effect that putting the bus connects plan in place is likely to have on households, gardens, footpaths, things like that. We all know that the bus connects is a great idea and that a load of new bus routes and cycle lanes and all of this. We all want all this stuff, but getting there is going to be a nightmare for a lot of people around the city. And and that's not my opinion. That's a fact. When you look down, and it, it can't be anything else but a nightmare for, for a lot of people over the next number of years. But we kind of want the bus services. We, we want the cycle lanes. We want all these things. But getting there, like I said, will break a lot of hearts. John was on. He said it was at the Tory Top Road meeting on Tuesday. There was absolute war at it. This will not pass easily. I haven't felt such ground roots opposition to something since the water charges. People really don't know what's planned until it's shown to them, and then they get really angry. So we'll come back to that this morning. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96 and 083 396 96 96 on text or WhatsApp and, of course, on your voicemails. We take the voicemails, those messages on WhatsApp to uh, get your point on the air that way. Now, straight up to uh, the Cambridge household in the Glen. Donna, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? So I'm all right, but don't mind me. How are you guys? You've had an awful few days. Uh, still a little bit of shock, like, uh, I suppose, uh, my mum's house on Tuesday um, burnt down. Um, I suppose all the community in the Glen know they've been yeah. very good. They've um, set up a GoFundMe page to support her. She, I'm on the line uh, on behalf of her. She's very upset even talking about it still. She's, not, sure, she's still a bit sure. traumatised. Hey, mum is breed, um, isn't she? And it's up in Mangerton, yeah. isn't it? 
Yeah, Mangerton Close and the Glen. Yeah, I know the place. I wasn't so it's up. just in front. Of, it's kind of just in front of the Glen Park, you know. Yeah, I know the place. I know the place. What happened, Donna? So she was just after coming back from collecting her money in the post office, and she managed was cooking the dinner away. But like, she kids in the house that they do they do sleep daily. So like, it's a it's a three bedroom house, but there's another room downstairs into the back, uh, where her oldest son was sleeping with his dog Marley and. My other sister was upstairs sleeping in, well, she wasn't, she was in the shower. And my mum was in the kitchen cooking their dinners and stuff. My other brother, Dan, there's a, there's a bedroom upstairs that's not been slept in at the moment because her um, her son passed away two years ago for drug overdose. So no, no one wants to sleep in that room, you know? Of course. So, and then the other, the youngest son, he have autism. There's two of them there with autism. He's sleeping in the front room he doesn't want to go into that room, you know. Sure. But um, there was just she was just in the kitchen cooking the dinner away and chatting to like there's three in the house, three kids in the house. Or but she had nine kids all together, Neil. I'm yeah. the oldest of nine. Yeah. So we all called to her regularly daily, you know. So it was just the luck that it was during the day when it happened. But yeah. typical family day, like people in the yeah, house and yeah. cooking the dinner, having cup teas, cooking the dinner, and she didn't yeah. even smell it like. If anything, the neighbour saw it before she kind of was alerted um, and she kind of wanted as well to express a huge thank you because who actually alerted her was a driver, a passerby on the back of the North Ring Road. Okay, where, where did the first deep. start then? It started in, in, out the back. Right. Out the back, straight right next to the back door. So they're like, uh, like that day now, the fire brigade inspectors, they were very good, they were all up. Um, the forensics came up to investigate everything as well because it just sp- spread so fast. Right. Do, do they know what happened? Uh, it was outside. It happened, did it? We're still wait- we're still waiting on feedback. Like it was near the back door. Right. Um, they were look- just looking at the electrical, I suppose, part of the bedroom that um would see it's supposed to be fire exit, but it's bedroom as well, and that would that would be where the back door is. But they lost the key two years ago, so there's no way of getting out the back anyway. I see. I see. Um, but my brother. Dylan was asleep inside in the bed with his dog Marley and it was full up in, in a blaze, you know. He was very lucky. Wow. But only for a passerby in the North Ring Road, he actually drove in around Mountain Clothes, screaming on the wall into through my mum's kitchen window to say, get everyone out, you know. So somebody driving by spotted a fire. The smoke from the back. Yeah. Right. And drove around then, of course, knocked on the door and said, you better get a big game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my sister's bedroom was into the back as well, but she was in the shower. I see. But she, she said when she came out of the shower, she, she could see kind of fog. She didn't even get to the room. My mum was screaming at her at that stage. The, uh, there's kind of a high wall in front of my mum's kitchen window. It kind of blocks all the neighbours' windows there, really. Yeah. But he was actually on the wall, swinging his arms, like, get out, get everyone out, the house on fire. And that, that kind of alerted them all. Then, like, they panicked. Then none of them smelled anything. No, just having a random cup of tea in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. yeah. And when do I and in the meantime, he was after he was after alerting the fire brigade, so they responded very fast, as well. Good, good. So good, good that someone spotted it. Yeah, yeah. Everyone got um, out okay, did they? Did they? Yeah, just about. Yeah, it was just kind of the the major one was my brother Dylan. That was in the room where the fire was up against mm. all the back, all his back door, all his ward. Like the whole room was completely disintegrated. The whole house is destroyed. Right. It went up so fast, like, um, 
the other rooms that weren't, I suppose, burnt, but they were very severely damaged with smoke and carbon monoxide. There's nothing worse. Not in a cell of village, you know? Nothing worse. Smoke, in, in a way, the smoke damage is almost worse than a fire because you're wandering through it and you're thinking the clothes are ruined even if you could clean it and the beds are destroyed the clothes are destroyed the smell you can't get rid of it it's awful yeah yeah like there was a, a clothes rack there in the portrait to the front and when we were safe enough to go back in afterwards there was like a little bag of clothes there for my brother Dylan and even he bought them back to wash them and the smell of smoke he just can't he'd have been on because he can't get the smell of smoke out of no, him there's no point no. there's no point all her valuables, I suppose her, my brother James's uh, pictures, canvases, her own wedding pictures, everything destroyed. Like. Oh, God. Oh God. So where, where, where is she staying? Obviously, you can't live in the house or can't she's, stay in the house. She's, at the moment, like, I have two kids. I'm here in a little three-bedroom house above the chipper in the Glen. She's here now, our three kids. Um, emergency uh, housing are trying to house her as soon as possible. They told her it could be up to three days. I got you. I got you. So she's a council tenant. She is, she is. Okay. And the councillor aware of, of the problem and obviously they've, they've tried to... They, they, they contacted her very... Yeah. yeah so, no. And they're just giving her feedback each day, I suppose, of the progress, I suppose, you, you know? I know. And no one knows... Now, you say there's a there's an investigation as to what happened? Well, the guards now and the forensics came up and they took photographs and I suppose, kind of everything that was in my brother Dylan's room in the bottom bedroom... Mm. It looked like a pile of rubbish out the back, but that's literally what was in his room, burnt and dragged out. I have you. Yeah, because just gonna to, like there was was there were there bins out the back? Was there anywhere that could have started? Do you know? No, no, no. Nothing. Only grass. The only things out the back now was grass. Wow, wow. Um, and like even the doors, like she only got new windows and doors there two three years ago. Right. And how fast they burnt down, like she couldn't, she she couldn't get over how fast. Nah, I suppose yeah. the back door and the glass just shattered in right, all heat, his wardrobe, all that. He does that. Heat is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully she'll get sorted out with a place to stay temporary. Um, what happens then? Do you know? She's just she. Like, I suppose they're all kind of devastated here. Like they're like, if they had their way, no need to move back in. You know, our PJ did move back in. You know. Yeah, it's their family home, like, yeah. and all their memories, I suppose. And I know none of them would sleep in the room because she was he, uh, my brother's that passed away two years ago. His daughter is up having major surgery on her spine. She's only young, and um, my mum was only after doing up his room, so herself and the daughter for sleepovers, you know. Oh, they go back. Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, I, he died two years ago. No one's been in the room. He since. did. Right. No one will go into the room, so she moved. She said she'd move into that room, and when she's having the granddaughter for the sleepovers, because she'd off to take her, you know. Yeah. She said she said she'd do it up for herself, and because it was it was it would have been the daughter's dad's room. Sure. So she got, she actually only done it up last week because we knew she was going for the big surgery this week. Right. Uh, she has a scoliosis, and she got um, a, a big surgery on her spine. Now she's recuperating very well, thank God. How, how old is she? Um, she's nearly two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You've had a you've had a tough couple of years, let alone a tough couple of days with the family. Then. Yeah, it just feels like knock after knock, don't it? Yeah. I know. I know. How I saw. Look, pass on my regards to to, to Brida. Um, I will, of course, PJ. And I know the good the GoFundMe is up there for people who want to try and help. And I, there's nearly a thousand euro in it, which is great so far. 
Yeah, and it, I just want to say a huge thank you as well to everyone doing that, guys, because um, like we wouldn't have even thought of it. We're just so shocked by everything, you know. I know, I know, and it's hard to blame you, you know. And it, like I know that the look to be fair to the council, uh, we, we hear a lot of complaints about the housing department and all that, and and but but when they have to fix an emergency, they'll fix. Oh, it. Oh, they're trying their best there, like they are, and they're responding to her own and giving her feedback each day, just making sure she's okay where she is and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's up on. It's up on our Twitter. We put the GoFundMe up on our Twitter so people can, can so take much, a look. Um, if they want to help with that in any way, like do you? I mean, look, we can, we can, we have friends in Penny Dinners and friends in Vincent de Paul and friends in places. Is there anything that you need right now? That, that it was kind of only mainly clothes, wasn't it? Because that was it. You now they lost all their clothes and stuff as well. Right, yeah, I like there's great people now, the likes of Kate Durant who listen to us, and and we do. If anyone can, like, they haven't a stitch of clothes left, no. Nothing, nothing. The little bag of clothes, by the the clothes horse in the hall, like we were after washing that about six times. My brother's very, my brother's very particular, and he loves, he loves even in the summer now. He loves wearing this morning gown. And he's complaining about Johnny, the morning you might, gown. You might as well throw him out. I, I can remember a few years ago, a friend of our family had a a, a fire over Christmas, and like that, no, we we got a lot of them. We helped them. We got a lot of the clothes out, and um, then you might as well, you could still be washing them. Do you know this? I know, no. no. no he out yesterday. He knew we weren't getting nowhere. <laughs> I know, I know. So, what, what ages of people are involved throwing a few bits of clothes around that? Well, Keith's 14, but, um, uh, and Elizabeth's 19. Uh, what size clothes would they be? Yeah. Just anything. He's kind of quite, quite big, like he's kind of. Ex, 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 I know. Extra large. Yeah, look, if, if, if anyone had, if there are clothes around for uh, just a family, no, fourteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old, and and your mam, I hate to ask her age, but she's not got a stitch of clothes either. Really, what's on her? Pajamas. She's she's actually receiving loads of pajamas. She's delighted. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, if anyone. Oh, by the way, is Marley all right? Marley is doing great. Marley's the runaway dog that to be up on Facebook nearly every second week. Oh, is that him? And he was. Yes, I've seen him. And he didn't even bark. Dylan was <laughs> Dylan was killing him because he didn't even bark, and the house was up in flames, and the glass and all was coming in and top of him. Oh, flame needed of a dog. It, it was <laughs> my other brother was kicking the door into like Dylan. Yeah. For sure, like. All right, all right. Look, listen. At least you're all right. Physically, you're all right. It, I want to say you know what? You know what? But you know, as I said to you, we we'd friends who had. Um, we had a house for friends of ours artisted a lot of time a lot of years ago now uh, and like that now people come together and they help but one thing that a person sat down with them at the time who was helping and said look stuff can be replaced clothes this carpets curtains, stuff can be replaced people can't Donna yeah yeah, and with the photographs and stuff, we have them all done on social media. We can reprint all that kind yeah, of stuff as well. Yeah, you'll find all that stuff. A, you know, people say, oh, you put it on social media and it's there forever. Well, this might be an occasion where that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Do you know, yeah. listen, I wish you all well. And I hope, and if anybody, wants, so if anybody wants to help, just let us know and we'll, we'll, try, and, we'll try and put you in, in, in contact. And, and, and I know that's a great community up in Mangerton. It's a fabulous community of people. They, they are, they, they are fantastic, like, yeah, them. very close, especially, you know, hard times like this to pull together, you know. All right, all right, listen, look after yourself, look after your mum, look after everybody else, 
and Marley's an awful idiot. And <laughs> the house on fire things in I know. <laughs> All right, Donna, listen, just take care me. and thanks. All right, look after yourselves. Look after yourselves. Can you just imagine what that must be like? It's, it's the one thing. It's the one thing you, you dread in your house. Fire and water. Now, I've I've had the water experience, trust me, with the leak and, and the damage it can do. But I dread fire so much. So... Your, your, your thoughts would be with the Cambridge family and all around them and all belong to them. And they've had a rough couple of years since the son died uh, two years ago. But that bloody Egypt of a dog, like. I mean, dogs are supposed to smell fire and bark and tear the house down. Nah, no, snoring. <laughs> Thanks, Donna. 0818 96 96 96. Actually, speaking of pets, and I know this is, this is a much lighter story. But I said, I, t- I tell you this. This is a very funny one from the UK. Um, there's a, there is a new housing estate, a 68-house estate governed by Midway Council. It's called Chattington Woods, or it's, yeah. It, it, in order to get into this new housing estate in Kent, <laughs> you have to pledge something in writing there'll be council houses and there'll be for sale you have to pledge something in writing to the council if you're going to get one of these houses you have to promise them in writing that you won't do something I'll tell you what it is in a minute can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, I'll be very honest with you. I love the idea of all these new bus routes and, and cycle lanes and, and bus connects and all of that. But I struggle to understand where it's all going to go and how it's all going to work. And that's just because I'm stupid. I'm not good at reading the maps. You can I could sit there for hours looking at the website. Oh, now that's going on there. And that bus going, oh, that's going on. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. It all looks fantastic. It, if it works out, we'll have a great public transport system. But getting there is going to be painful for a lot of people. There was a meeting on... Tuesday night involving Tory Top Road residents and local councillors to discuss things like active travel and all that. Joe Gorman, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I don't think anybody is against the changes, but they're going to be painful. Would I be right there? It's 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 that cycle lane is bothering you guys. Yes, uh, the council proposed to put a cycle lane on the um, on the southern side of Tory Top Road. Okay. From from the from the Tory Top Pub right up to the library, uh, where it meets Friars Walk. Okay. Um, in their wisdom, it's going to be a raised a raised cycle track. It's not it's not um, a bicycle track. It's it's more like a, a bike track, which is there to um, accommodate uh, scooters, battery operated scooters, battery operated bikes, bikes that can travel up to the speed of probably sixty kilometers an hour, and this is outside people's driveways, and mm-hmm. they have to nego- they have to negotiate this track then, along with uh, pedestrians, park cars, uh, uh, live traffic on the road, and it's 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 crazy, it's absolute crazy. And the worst thing about the proposal is they propose to ban all parking on the northern side of Tory Top Road. So we're no, talking from say to- where the the Tory Top pub there is on the corner, and the, the little is across the road. 
from from yes. from there up to where, Joe? Up to the library on the very top uh, where it meets um, Friars Walk. I got you. I have you. I have you now. So what? Maybe half a kilometre, or maybe three quarters of a kilometre up. It's not yeah. not a whole lot. But they want to put this track. So and and they're talking about taking over the existing road or widening it. They can't widen the road. What 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 they propose to do is they, they propose to reduce the grass verge uh, by half, as far as as far as I can gather from the drawings. Okay. Um, and then put the cycle lane, a raised cycle lane. It's going to be raised up to the height of the pavement. Okay. And then to accommodate the cycle lane, so it'll be separate there, to there the road, no, as it were. Yeah. It'll be it'll be it'll be um, you'll have the pavement, you'll have the cycle lane, then you'll have parking on that side of the road. Outside, outside the cycle track. Oh crikey! So, so let me get this right in my head. So you'll have the road where cars will go. No, you'll have the yes. cycle lane. Then you'll have you'll have parking. You'll have parking on that side. Right. And then you'll have the cycle lane. Okay. You'll have you'll have a very small grass verge because there are grass verges there at the moment. Sure, sure. And then you'll ha- and, and then you'll have the pavement. So anybody coming out of their drive, and especially elderly people would have to negotiate the pavement where you have pedestrians and, you know, uh, people pushing buggies and what have you. And then you will have the cycle track, mm-hmm. you'll have park cars, and then you'll have live traffic. Now, the question begs, uh, PJ, if somebody should hit a cyclist, mm-hmm. who's liable? Who's liable? Because at the, at the moment, you're watching out for, for pedestrians, you're watching out for live traffic and, and you're negotiating path traffic as well. There might be a van in your in your line of sight or a car or whatever. No, I mean, and, are they not? I, are there not cycle cycle cycles, bikes, scooters, and all that? Are they not going up and down there at the moment anyway, Joe? They are not. That's the whole point, PJ. We've done a survey out here. Uh, uh, Councillor Party Deneen done a survey yeah. a couple of weeks back. And the amount of bikes coming up Tory Top Road, actually, they shouldn't have called it Tory Top Road. They should have called it Tory Top Hill because they, they have the, they propose to put the cycle lane on the south side coming up. So nobody in their right mind, unless you're as fit as a fiddle, would cycle a bike yeah. up that hill. Yeah, yeah. I, in my days I, I, as a I, cyclist, which are beyond me now, that wouldn't have been my favourite place, no. No. Exactly, right? And... You know, while we're talking about cycling, cycling as we know it is nearly gone. It's nearly finished. You know, only the real enthusiasts go out cycling. Other people to get from A to B will use a battery-operated scooter or a battery-operated bike. And some of those uh, can travel up to 60 kilometres an hour, right? Faster than a car can go, or, or faster than a car is permitted to go within the city. Mm. And, and people, people have to negotiate this. But, you know, this this isn't the real, it's not even the issue, PJ. The issue is, right, that they're going to, they propose to, to stop all parking on the northern side, right? Right. So so on the northern side, you have a cemetery. Yes, another cemetery. You know, so people come in to bury their dead, people come in to visit their dead on the weekends or whatever, right? Where do they park? Well, I tell you where they park. They drive the traffic down the adjoining roads, namely Kent Road, Botanic Road, Clarks Road, Conley Road. And the traffic down in these roads, as it stands, right, the people down there are up to 90 on match days here with the rugby and the soccer and Tonus Cross and the mm. whole lot. Mm. You know, people are parking in their gardens. Yeah. I know, I know, I know they want to do this. And plus the fact, up on the top of the road, we have a school. 
yeah. with about 350 pupils, with parents dropping off their children early in the morning and collecting them in the evening time. I mean, in the winter time, where do they park, to, you know, to drop their kids to school? We have businesses up there. We have people up there with businesses, right, that have taken years to, to, to get their businesses where they are today. And they'll go out, they will go out of business. Their livelihoods will be taken away in a matter of months. And, you know, it's absolute ludicrous, you know, you know to, to, to put all these people through this type of suffering, right, and pain and anguish and call it what you want, right, yeah. for a cycle track, a raised cycle track. That's yeah. no, no good to anybody. But, the road isn't wide enough for it. But it is all and, part of this move to more public transport, more sustainable travel, more active travel, trying to get us out of the cars, onto the bikes, out of the cars, onto the buses. PJ... You know? P- PJ, I get, I get that totally. Listen, you tell me how many electric points there are for electric cars. I have a hybrid car myself, right? Oh, yeah, right. And only for, only for where I'm walking, I wouldn't be able to charge it unless I charge it at home with a three-pin plug because I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten a charger put outside yet. But yeah. the thing is, where, where is the transport for Ireland? Where is all this initiative coming from, right? Transport for Ireland, we won't see it for another 20 years. Yeah. 20 years, right? And, and that's, that's the problem, PJ. People go down there to get the bus into town, and I do it from time to time, even though I have a car. And I stand down there at the bus stop on Pierce Road for an hour waiting for the number three bus. Now, who the hell wants to do that? You know, nobody wants to do it. And you have people today, that's what they, PJ. I, Joe, isn't that what they want to change? I mean, I, I've said before, I live, I'm lucky where I live. I have two buses, and it never takes me more than 10 or 15 minutes to get a bus to town. But they want to give that to everybody. Down the road, you but know? look at this. At this moment, down the road, you said it. At this moment in time, this is not feasible. It it really isn't. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they're putting they're, they're putting people to the pin of their collar here for what? A cycle track. I mean, I'm standing here at my window here t- talking to you. I don't see any cyclists. I don't see I any people going up on the road on bikes. I know. I, know. They, they want, and, well, and I think it, what they want to do is, from what I'm reading, they want. Like they do, they want all the cyclists to to use specific cycle routes. So to take the streets that are full of cars, okay. Take the you know, okay. but, but come here. If that. there was one thing you could change here, if there was one th- like you've seen the plan, you've read the plan. You, you, what would you like to change if there was one thing you could change? I'd like them. To, I'd like them to abandon this idea of the cycle track at this moment in time. Right at the end of the day, PJ, what you're saying to me is right. I get what you're saying, but this track, right? Well, don't Stops get me wrong here, Joe. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a spokesman for Bus Connects or anything like it. I'm just looking that, at... That's fine. You know? That's fine. Yeah. I, I understand that. But this track starts at the Tory Top pub below and it finishes up on Friars Walk. There's no connecting tracks to it. So why put a track that's not even yeah. joined up or anything? Yeah. Now, you can say to me they'll do that in time, right? Yeah. But when? 20 yeah. years' time. Not now. People have businesses up there. Children need to go to the school. Parents need to bring their children there. Yeah. People need to go to the graveyard. There's a library up there that all people use, right? You know, retired people, they, they might like reading to get a few books and what have you. Ah, yeah, sure. I know the area. They can't, they can't, they can't walk the long distances. Well, I, yeah. I know the place. Yeah. I know the place so, very well. Like, uh, like, but I'm, is it a delay you want for further consultation or something like that? Or just want to we, we, def- we, we definitely want uh, further consultation, PJ, because... That mood up there on Tuesday night was angry, and I mean angry. It was very angry. Yeah. And they did. They, they didn't even. City Hall didn't even consult the people of Tory Top Road, the residents. We found out, you know, by chance. And then they want people to submit, put in 
submissions online. I mean, how many elderly people? Ballyvehan is a is a tall generation area. I mean, yeah. what people are computer literate to do that? Well, you'd I mean, be, you'd actually have, be, uh, Joe, in fairness, you'd actually be very surprised. You'd be very surprised. Well, do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, that's, that's one thing. Like, I mean, some, sometimes that, people say, "Oh, if you're over a certain age, you can't use the internet." That's not true. Yeah, but they, they don't. They, they, they don't make allowances for elderly people. Nah. You know, they want them to do things online. Oh, they, they, they didn't have that upbringing. They, they have no knowledge true. of computers, yeah. right? Yeah. And they dismiss old people today, which is a disgrace. It really is. You know, mm. I mean, submit your sub, put your submission online, log in, put in a username, a password, an email address. You know, I mean, what's all that cardiology about? I'll mm. tell you what the submissions were, PJ. The submissions were up in Ballyfehan Community Centre on Tuesday night. The room was packed to the rafters, OK? Yeah. John, we, John, we is, had, John was saying, I read that out at the start of the programme, John is saying it was up there and there was war and he said it won't pass there, easily. Look, look, the mood was anger. And I mean a lot of anger. And, I, and like, there was a lady across the road. She's, she's a beautician. She, she built up her business over years and years, right? She could be out of business in a matter of months. I mean, when, what's when, all when that do they want to start this, Joe? I don't know exactly. I, I don't know exactly when it's, uh, when it's supposed to start. But I tell you something, the people of Ballyfehan and the surrounding areas here, they won't let it start. Because yeah. we've had all this problem before with water meters and everything else, right? And I don't want to go down that road. No, oh, today. God, John, you don't. But, 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 but look, pe- people are angry. angry. They're not consulted, PJ. They haven't been consulted. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, we should have had letters through our letterbox. I mean, we had two engineers from the city council up there on Tuesday night, and they were like lost souls. They just came with their hands hanging. They had they'd done no survey on the road, by the way. They told us no survey was done. Mm. Uh, they came with their hands hanging. I asked them about the cost. A costing. This guy came out with a sum of eight hundred thousand. I said, "Who are you kidding?" I said, eight hundred thousand. Multiply that by four, at least. That's yeah, going to cost three or four million. That's how things happen in in Ireland, I guess. In in twenty twenty two. Listen, Joe, I'm going to leave it there for today. I've no doubt we'll talk again because there's a, a lot of opposition, and you're not the only one, and you're not the only area. And there's a saying, you know, I'm sure you've heard it. You can't make a laminate without breaking eggs. Uh, but the breaking of the eggs is going to be very painful for a lot of people, like Joe and his and his neighbours up there. Uh, we will follow this. We will keep an eye to this because it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good in what there's a lot of good in. Sorry, Joe. You, do, was there something else you want to say? Yeah, I, I just I just want to make, make one more uh, point here Go as ahead. well, TJ. There are twelve mature trees on the southern side of Tory Top Road, yeah. and we've been trying to get those t- trees. Trim back a little bit, right, so that people can, so that the public lighting here means something in the winter yeah. time for elderly people. Those lovely old area, trees, right? I know them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we couldn't get them cut back. And now they're proposed to chop them down, take them away. And, and, and there they are with their green initiative. They're going to take them all and just cut them off, kill them all. I mean, that's abs- it's madness, madness. Yeah. Abs- it's ludicrous, I can tell you that now. Yeah? All right. Thanks for that, and Joe. Look, thanks okay, for that. no problem, TJ. Yeah, Thank it's, you. It's, it's true with all these green plans. You have to hand him that one. All these green plans and green agendas and public transport and better air quality and better this and uh, it's going cutting down all these trees. They're beautiful trees. If you know the area around Tory Top Road, it's a lovely place. Tory Top Road's a beautiful area. You can see why they'd be concerned.
0818969696. Quick reminder to you, it is still with us for the summer. Um, that is the Back Garden Festival. Cork's uh, 96FM's exclusive online station with the biggest hits from the summer's headline acts. All brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You can listen on the app or pop over to 96FM.ie. The music is savage, may I tell you now. Absolutely savage. 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The 10th annual Mick O'Regan Memorial Motorcycle Run takes place on Saturday, the 6th of August. Sign in is at Kit Roach's Bar Butterbent at 10.30 a.m. and leaving at 12.30 p.m. Proceeds from the event are in aid of Pieta House. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Courts 96 FM. Actually, where I was on holidays, they've done this thing with the road. Um, and if you know the area, um, it's down there in, it's really one of the heart of the resort there in South Tenerife and Las Americas. What used to be a big main road, huge big main road, wide main road's gone. Gone. It's one lane going one way, no choice. They've taken most of the road and made a big wide pavement out of it for cyclists and pedestrians and scooters and all that. And you kind of go, what the hell? And there seems to be some of that going on in this um, active transport plan as well. It's happened all over the world. People are doing this all over the world. The roads are changing. The shape of the road is changing. The use of the road is changing. The division between road for the car and, and road for the bike it's all changing and, and that's part of this active travel movement and where Bus Connects goes then active travel will kind of follow or be or be fairly near to it and there are many changes coming and they're going to be hard for people to, to stomach as we get to a fantastic public transport system down the road there's problems on the Mayfield to Cork City plan there's problems on the airport to Cork City plan there's problems on the Holly Hill to Cork City plan and this holy murder in Douglas about the Mangala. Now, the idea to bridge, to bridge over the Mangala isn't part of Bus Connect. It's, it's an old plan or so some people seem to think. Peter Horgan, uh, Labour Party uh, member um, and, and activist locally. Peter, you've been looking into this in more detail because you live Morning, in, in, in that area. How are you doing? You live in more area. The, the Mangala, people are vicious that they might lose the Mangala. Are they going to lose the Mangala? Personally, I don't think they will. But people are right to be concerned. People are right to be active in ensuring that we don't use, lose the Mangala. Now, when the, when the plans were published, and I saw this a four-lane bridge going across the Mangala Valley, which, would, which, is, which wasn't just a bus bridge, it was going to encompass cars and pedestrians and cyclists and buses. So it was a pretty big bridge. And what the plans show is, is, is a quite, you know, it's quite a condensed size over the Mangla. But at the public meeting that I attended, which, which, which and I'll be, well, I'm not going to be party political about this, you know, it was attended by Mayor Rose Desmond and Des Cahill and Kieran McCarthy, all councillors, and they were all against it as well. As I understand it, most of the councillors in the ward, uh, across the two wards are against it. And that, and that's a positive thing for a cross-party. But as I understand it from Shane O'Callaghan, Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, who had a meeting with the NTAs that Bus Connects can live without it, that doesn't mean that they're going to take it out. People still need to put their yeah. objections in. But 
There was some it, confusion, wasn't there, the, Peter? I mean, Terry Shannon was on the show here while I was away. There, there, there was some confusion between whose idea this bridge over the Mangala actually was. And it's not, is it, it's not actually part of Bus Connects, correct? Well, it is. No, it is. And I have this from the Conservation Officer. Right. So when the plans were announced, I was talking to members of my party and one of them suggested, why don't we try and seek a conservation order on the Mangala? No, it was all, we'd also, also talk about the finger post, but Shinsuke Lella would talk about that another time. Yeah. But on the Mangala, so I wrote to the conservation officer in Cork City Hall and they came back and they told me that Ballybrack Woods will be formally designated an architectural conservation area as an extension of the Douglas Architectural Conservation Area as of August 8th. Now, what that means is that it's not necessarily a protected structure, even though it's not, you know, or a protected area, but it does give a bit of, um, it does give a bit of, a bit more credence to the idea that we really shouldn't build there. And that's in the development plan, which will yeah. be taken into okay, so, uh, account next week. But I'm driving, driving, bridge, just driving down Maryborough Hill this morning on my way to work, Peter. And I was saying, where are you going to put this bridge? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, where are you going to it's start mad. it? Where are you going to finish it? But there's two bridges, PJ. So, and what the conservation officer did tell me is that there's a separate bridge, the Douglas East West Link Gateway Bridge, um, which is taking it, it's a separate one being done by City Council, not Buskinix. So, there's two bridges at play here. There's the four lane bridge by the NTA, and then there's another bridge which has been on the cards with City Council and County Council uh, before the expansion for a number of years, and that's still progressing. That we have yet to see planning on that. So there's two bridges that people need to be aware of. There's the NTA bridge, which is under Bus Connect, which is what we have yes. sight of. Yes. But on the City Council website, and I can send you, I can send your team the link that the conservation officer sent me, um, the, there is another bridge coming up. Whether that bridge encompasses cars or whether it's just a pedestrian cycle bridge, a bit like the Tremor Valley Grange Bridge that's been built, I've yet to see any plans on that. Yeah. I don't think any plans have been developed on it. Yeah, but yeah. there are two bridges. Yeah, so that is true. Fer- Fergal is 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 just updating my, my my screen here for me, and because just so I the, the the council proposed this bridge before Bus Connect. Now Bus Connect like the idea. If it goes into the Bus Connect plan, then the council loses the power to do anything about it. Correct. But if, at the moment, councillors could could block it, that's it, isn't it? could, it? yes. Yeah. Yes. But the, if it goes into Bus Connect, if it goes, Bus it Connect goes like it, but it's not in it at the moment. If it goes into Bus Connect, then we're banjacked because the council can do nothing about it, correct? Uh, yeah, at the moment. I, there's this, being, this kind of idea that City Council, not the council, but City Council are operating in a vacuum to the NTA. I, I don't buy that, and that City Council... When Bus Connect was was announced, you know the chief executive had a had a had a statement of welcoming Bus Connects. You know that they're working in tandem with the NTA. So that there is, I think, there's scope for elected members to kind of use their influence with the executive to kind of you know get get what their constituents need and what they want in terms yeah. of public transport provision. Um, and you're right, it is going to be a teething problem to get to a proper situation of, of, of a good public transport yeah. network. Because there are some people out there saying that they hope Bus Connect fails. I don't hope it fails. You know, it well, needs well, to be tweaked. The, the, it needs to be The map, the map is brilliant. The plan is brilliant. It'll all be fantastic when it happens, if it happens. But do you know what I'm thinking, Peter? And we can go on about plans for this and maps for that and who might have... Seen. The people who go out in the morning and walk their dog in the Mangala or whose children play in the Mangala or who do you know let's get really small see here for a second who met and had their first date in the Mangala 
<laughs> they don't yeah. want to lose a blade of grass from that no, gorgeous nor place. should they. Nor, nor should, should they. I've done myself with my own son that weekend, and the, 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 I was looking at it again. As you come down the hill there where the, where the murals are, uh, as you come into Ballybrack and the Mangla, it would be from that little bridge, like almost across to where the other set of houses are in that in that little valley there. That's how that's how big the enabling works would be. It would completely destroy the biodiversity element of the area. You know, we have we have little enough green spaces as it is yeah. in the city. Uh, you know, we've seen like, you know, we've seen part of uh, the Peace Park being torn up uh, there recently. You know, like and, and people are railing against the dying of the light of. You know, trees being cut down, but like in this area of the Mangla, where money has all public money has already been pumped in to make it a great amenity, and and groups like Douglas Tidy Towns are out there every week, you know, making it nice, yes. you know, cleaning it up all the time. You know, we've seen recently that badgers have returned to the area. I I'll heard do, that, Peter. Is that true? Badger. Is that true? Well, there were badgers back. Badger. There was a dead. There was a dead badger down there. Um, right. So I think it's being looked at by the National Wildlife Service now to, to determine if there is a. I think it's a sect of badgers I'm not, or a den of badgers. Uh, so, like, you know, in one way, all this kind of builds up to the idea of, of what people should be putting in their submissions to Bus Connects. So I know some people are very panicky saying, oh, we should put in the Bus Connect stuff now, put it in now, put it in now. There's only been X amount of submissions. We have until October. There's yeah. still a lot. So, like, if you would put in a submission on the Mangla, on biodiversity, and then we found out about the badgers... We, you know, that's another that's another string in your bowl gone. So it might be worth people waiting until maybe the end of August, start of September, to sit mm. down and well, get together their their kind of submissions. You, you know what happens with these things, Peter? People say, "Oh, the the deadline is October, and we'll be doing lastminute.com trying to get submissions in." But the, the support locally is that there be no damage, no damage to the Mangla. That that's what people are stressing. That, I think 100%, anyone I've spoken to on it, and a lot of people are contacting me about it, uh, not just from Douglas, from across the city, people who go running there, people who take their kids there at the weekend, you know, um, everyone has, who has contacted me from, from, from inside Douglas, Black Rock, anywhere like that, have said, no, a bridge like that is, is crazy stuff. It's absolutely crazy. Okay. All right, listen, thanks very much for that, uh, Peter. Peter Horgan. Um, just a reminder to you, it's back. God, the year is galloping by like a runaway horse. The Premier League is back and the Premier League returns this weekend and Premier League Live is back at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh and the team powered by TalkSport. Right back into the thick of it they are from Saturday. Fulham versus Liverpool at 12.30. Spurs against Southampton at 3 and Everton against Chelsea at half past 5. It's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen you can listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. If you open the map, you'll find the Premier League Live tile there, the Premier League Live little little key there, and away with you. Back on Saturday. The year is galloping along. Premier League back Saturday afternoon. Now, staying with active travel and bus connects and, and all of that, they're different schemes, okay? They're going to be going on at the same time, and, and they're all kind of connected and all to do with the... Same thing, but they're going to have different impacts on different areas. Greg Canty, uh, there's another active travel plan around Cool Row Meadows. So tell me first of all where that is, Greg, and what the what the situation is. Good morning. 
Yeah, hey PJ, how are you doing? And thanks for joining the dots and bringing all of these together, you know, in the one place, because I think that needs to happen. So for anyone who doesn't know Balancholic and they're traveling out that way, if you're traveling on the link road, you've got exit one, which takes you to the beginning of Balancholic, and you've got exit two that takes you into a housing estate called Greenfields. Yes. There's a thoroughfare through the estate. In the yes. middle of the estate, there's a roundabout. And you come out the other side then, I suppose, maybe 500 metres above the Whitehurst pub, if, you, yeah. if you're familiar with your pubs, you know. I know the road very well, actually, because uh, I drive out there frequently enough a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful road. So th- this is another one of those plans. And I was listening there to Joe making these fantastic points about what's happening in Tory Top Road. And uh, I... Okay, for anyone listening, they're probably going to be thinking, yeah, a bunch of morning minis and Tory Top Road and morning minis and Balancholic. But my big issue is that there's planning coming out of Cork City Council by engineers, and this has been confirmed to us, who are doing desktop exercises on estates and locations that they're not visiting. They're putting in dangerous plans that are going to put everyone at risk for this very, very single... And, and I'll be honest with you, it's a worthy agenda, getting people up on bikes, but not to the detriment of every other road user. Joe you, you outlined for me very clearly the, diff, the, the changes they've been making in, in Tory Top. So, so do the same for me at your end. Okay, and, and it's actually funny that the, the report that they've outlined is that, you know, as the, the development involves the upgrading of services, the risk of accidents should be reduced. Now, how they're achieving this is quite amazing. So they're getting rid of a roundabout, which calms the traffic in the middle of the estate with, with four junctions effectively yeah. coming at it. So they're getting rid of that, basically, so... I think traffic and bicycles and everything else can whiz through a little bit easier. God love the residents that are trying to come up, come out at that point. They're getting rid of um, four opportunities to cross the road. Now, this is a housing estate. It's not like a main road. So this is your kid and my kid that's skipping across the road to see their buddy. You, you, you see the kids out there playing football and everything else. They're putting in one... Um, pedestrian crossing to replace those. And this is 875 metres, I think, from one side to the other. So all of that has been replaced with just one pedestrian Hang on. crossing. One, one pedestrian crossing in the course of 875 metres? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Practically a kilometre? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And adding a little bit of insult to injury. Where there are now four, right? Yeah, yeah there's five now. There's actually five, five okay. now. There's five opportunities to cross. Um, adding insult to injury, the where they're putting the pedestrian plan uh, on the scheme is about 100 metres down from this roundabout that they're getting rid of. So you're going to have a very tricky junction. Now, junctions, by the way, and you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to kind of look at the risks for this thing. There's an EU study, junctions cause between 60 and 40% of road accidents across Europe. Our geniuses, and I'm sorry now for being sarcastic, but I think it's our duty to point out the risks they, they cause 60 to 40% of accidents. And instead of, and, and the solution is roundabouts. So our geniuses want to remove a roundabout that slows down traffic and replace it with a junction. It, it, it's absolutely bonkers. Um, they want to take away 23 uh, mature lime trees that, along the route. 
They want to get rid of some of the grass verges. They want to... The, 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 the traffic is very carefully managed through the estate. So there's a lot of mini estates off this road. Yeah. And whoever designed the road day one did a really great job. Yeah, I've so, often noticed driving along that, you're thinking, right, this is a major road, but it's going through a housing estate and it all works well. Yeah, and, and the reason it works well, PJ, is they have medians. And that, that, they're those kind of white line blocks in the middle of the road. And what they've built into the medians is the medians is turn lanes. So if I'm going through and I want to pull into my estate, I pull into the median. So the traffic on, on my left can literally whistle by until I get my chance. So in order to create the space for cycle lanes, yeah. they're getting rid of, and, and I swear to God, every single median in the plan. So, so suddenly, if you want to pull into your estate, you've got a car or a truck or a motorbike up your backside trying to get through and getting frustrated. And you're going to, you know, and I think causing risks. Frustration uh, leads to accidents. Yeah, you, you use a wonderful expression in the conversation with Joe that, you know, you need to break some eggs. If, if, you're, if you're making an omelette, you need to break legs. I'm sorry, break eggs. Yeah. That's if you need to make an omelette. What they're trying to do here is they're breaking eggs where there's no omelette to be made. There is no need for this in our estate. And I'll explain why to you. When you were asking me, where is this estate? The traffic, it's a very busy thoroughfare for cars, for trucks, and for motorbikes. Now, the council, and, and, and by the way, it was court, county council that would have done this. They put in two kind of, you know, these happy signs, you're going 50 kilometers and smiley face. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so they had to, to slow down as well as the roundabout. The reason I don't mention bicycles is when you go through the estate on one side, on the greenfield side, it, it takes you onto a motorway where you're not allowed to cycle. It takes you onto a very, very poor back road to Balancholic that I wouldn't leave any man, woman or child on a bicycle up that road. And the other road coming off that is the road to Columny, which is a fairly dangerous country road as well. Mm. So the bicycles they're trying to cater for, to be honest, are imaginary bike riders. <laughs> no one comes through this estate. No one uses a bike unless you're from the estate. Which is kind of exactly what Joe was saying down at, at Tory Top at the moment. Greg, I'm going to have to leave it there for no reason other than time, but we'll stay with it. There's just two elements of active travel where locals are saying, hang on a cotton-picking minute here. It's one we will no doubt follow with a huge interest on the programme because, like I said, everybody wants the best public transport system we can possibly have. Everybody wants as many safe ways to walk, to cycle, to, if you must, drive, and to use a bus. But all over the place, people are going, hold on a minute. Are you thinking this through? When we're enjoying Elton John and Dua Lipa, are you getting a cold heart? Has our love for Dermot Kennedy made you hope better tunes are coming? What I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100-euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. C96FM.ie The lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96FM.ie
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Coming up later this hour, how to teach your kids to deal with money. Um, it's probably the most important or one of the most important life lessons they need to learn. How do we teach our kids to deal with the money? And later, we're talking again about something we spend a third of our life doing. Spend a third of our life in the scratch or in the bed. Uh, could we be doing that a little bit better? That's all to come on the opinion line today. 0818-96-96-96. Uh, 0833-396-96-96. You can text or WhatsApp. And of course, the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Also getting the response shortly of Una Ring. You know Una well. Uh, to this new proposal by the Justice Minister, this new bill on stalking and other such things. That's all to come on this morning's opinion. And I will tell you what it is you have to sign up to in this housing estate in the UK that you absolutely will not do if you're to get a house there. But first, let's stay with Bus Connects and active travel and things for a while. Sharon is in Clarks Road, the Clarks Road area. Morning, Sharon. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What's bothering you, girl? Um, I tell you now, we're living in Clarks Road, we're at the top of Clarks Road, and at the moment we do have parking problems with the school, um, blocking our driveways, um, with the kids playing on the road. Now, if this bus lane, or sorry, cycle lane comes in place, I mean, the parking from the shops is going to come down, we're going to get the overflow of it on Clarks Road. Right, right. Now, we have kids playing there, there's about 20 kids. We have no signs up that kids are at play, children at play or anything. And our concerns are that the overflow of the parking on Clarks Road from the shops, the businesses. Yeah, yeah. And is there like is is Clarks Road being being altered in any way as part of the plan? No, no, no. no. But you're no. afraid that alterations elsewhere. Yes, yes. Now we're not we're not in the bus or not in the cycling, but we will get the overflow from. There's no parking at the businesses. There'll be double yellow lanes. So where are people going to park only? On Clark's Road. I have you. I have you. Debbie, De- De- Debbie, you're in the same area. You, li- you live near yeah. Sharon. Yeah, we, we that's do. right. Yeah, I live uh, just a couple yeah. doors down from Sharon, and we do have a terrible parking situation at the moment with the schools. We yeah. just can't park our cars. I've actually had someone parked inside them, my own driveway. Right. So, like, the businesses. Is that when someone yes. would be leaving kids off to school? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's right, yeah. Now, the business are there. Like, they have to make business, in all fairness. Like, if the business aren't, aren't just there, the place is going to be dead. You know, it's going to be derelict. Like, we'd want to be looking at that. Like, we want the businesses... What, what, what kind of businesses business. are up there, then? Oh, we have... Um, we have how many businesses? We have um, a restaurant... Right. With the beautician. Right. We've takeaways. We've a chemist. Yeah. We've a centre shop. Like there's fine businesses. Oh, important local businesses. Yeah. All, yeah, there are local businesses. Yeah. And like we need them up there. Like we yeah. want them up there. And, and obviously, cycling like, will mean that they they'll lose their parking and stuff. Exactly. So, like um, we don't want to be arguing with the businesses over there. People going in there. Like they have to make money. That's what they're there for. Their businesses can't go out. Yeah, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? There, there are businesses that are there a long time. I have you. They're there for, they're there for a reason. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. There's elderly people going in there. Where are people going to park? But your fear, and this actually, this happens a lot. I remember people talking about this over in Shamrock Lawn in Douglas, where people making the school drop or the school collection yeah. just yeah. fling the car 
outside anyway. the driveway and they forget, hang on, that someone needs to go back to work. And they go, what? Exactly, they're going to yeah. Sc- yeah, and that's already happening. In oh, that's part. already happening to in you. our area. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and your fear is if the if the people can't... We're going can't to have par- more overflow. Okay. okay, right. And so we don't want to be arguing with the people in the businesses either about overflow. Yeah. They have to. They have to. They're people in business. Yeah. Well, that's you very, know, no, that, that's very yeah. fair. You're saying, no, listen, people have to do business. Shops have we to open. We all live in the area. Well, they have there. to but, open. Yeah. But you're saying that if this goes ahead, at least if this goes ahead as, as it is on paper right now, you'd yeah. be plagued with people parking outside the house. Exactly. Yeah. Well, outside exactly the house is one thing, blocking the drive is another. Blocking yeah. drives, yeah. Blocking drives. And PJ, can I just yeah, say there as well? Sure, Sharon. Um, like they have 800,000, in the proposed plans, this is costing 800,000 for it to put in the cycle lanes and the double yellow lanes. Now, we went. My grandson got knocked down three years ago on Clark's Road and we went about pedestrian crossings and I was sick of asking about them and about putting children at play signs up and they told us the funding wasn't there. Now going back in May, my grandson goes to the local school and the parents committee sent out um, an email to say would we email the local TDs and councillors to say that we need a zebra crossing or you know, just safety crossings for the kids. And the emails that came back to us was that the funding wasn't there. But still in May, this was on paper that they were putting in cycle lanes and double yellow lanes and it was costing 800000 And the funding is there for that. Thanks for bringing that issue up. And thanks, Sharon and Debbie and Clark's Road. There are many things to do with this act of travel and this bus connects that are brilliant. But people are calling having seen what's in front of them. And John made that point that I opened the show with this morning, that he was at the Tory Top Road meeting and people don't realise what's going on until they see it written down in front of them. And when they see it written down in the front of them, whoa, stop a second. So there's a lot of whoa, stop a second, going on around the place right now. And we're going to follow it with 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 interest, all right? Anne says, I think cyclists should have public liability insurance. People are getting knocked down by them and there's no recourse don't, 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 Anne. Don't. <laughs> um, Kathleen says, we're worried about Ballin Lock Road. I have rang a number of people about Bus Connects. They don't get back to you or send out the forms they said they would send out. Also saying, do it online. Um, some can't find out information. We're not that tech savvy. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Now, people will soon be able to seek restraining orders against stalkers without having to secure a criminal prosecution. This is a new bill that Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, is bringing forward. It'll cease stalking and non-fatal strangulation become standalone offences. Stalking wasn't a standalone offence until now. One of the people who campaigned for it to be made a standalone offence is Una Ring. Una, good morning. Is she there, Fergal? Hi, Una. I'm not hearing her just now. See if we can find her there. The bill will become law in the autumn and uh, there'll be new sentences up to 10 years for stalking and for assault causing harm. A conspiracy to murder could see a life sentence. And the minister says it's to toughen up the law on stalking and on domestic violence. Una, you're back with me. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Um, what do you make of all of this? Is this the kind of thing that you wanted to happen? Morning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
like all along you had to you had to either go through the courts to get a restraining order or it had to be an intimate partner or an ex-partner or a family member you know somebody that you were kind of living with or you know had a strong relationship with um you weren't able to just get a restraining order against anybody so like this hopefully will be a huge help because if it can deter somebody from the outset um it'll stop things escalating to the point um that it escalated with myself and and other people you know yes this is the kind of thing you have been campaigning for are you happy with 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 the, the minister's response is it everything that you needed or is there more needed well, I suppose the only, the only thing that I that I would have liked to see maybe was the the sentencing being fifteen years instead of ten, and and that's just purely because generally it's it's about a third of the sentence is served. So if somebody gets ten years, they really are only going to serve three or four, you know. So at least if it was fifteen, they might end up serving five. Um, but look, I suppose we have to take what we can get, really, you know. Yes, the the non fatal strangula- strangulation is another standalone offence that comes out of this mm-hmm. new bill. Definite progress. Yeah. Definite progress, yeah, and 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 badly needed. You know, people kind of shut their eyes and ears to to domestic violence and to a certain degree, you know, saying, "Look, what goes on behind closed doors stays behind closed doors, and it's between the couple themselves and everything." You know, but like it is a very very serious crime and it's it's not only the the partners of people and it's not just women it's men that are affected by this as well like i think it has a, a detrimental effect on on children um who are witnessing stuff like that you know so i think if it can be a help to that will be a help to somebody it it could save and it could save pattern of behavior as well you know because sometimes what children are reared with they they end up being themselves you know i know I know. It's about 18 months, Una, since you and I first spoke on, on the opinion mm-hmm. line after James Steele mm-hmm. was, was jailed. How are you mm-hmm. doing? Yeah, like good and bad. You know, like July is a particularly tough month for me because that was the month that it happened. And it, it, it really hasn't left me yet, you know, and I, I don't know if it will. Um, you know, you remember the days and, you know, you just get a bit kind of antsy around that time. You get more aware, but it really hasn't left me. You know, I still will be very aware of my surroundings and I, I would be, I, I would see him from time to time when I, what, what I would think would be him and yes. I'd, I'd get a fright, you know. Yeah, you said that to um, me before. You, you, were, you were in Aldi or someplace and, and next, next thing you know is... That's and like you know, yeah, he's he was in, in the queue. <laughs> you know, there he is. Like, yeah, I know. And yeah, that, that's, that, but that, you that, do. You you get a fright, you know. I know you do. I know you'd listen. Yeah, yeah. Well, always great chatting to you. Una. Look after yourself. Thanks. We wanted to get your response to that nudes, um proposal from the Minister for Justice. It, it's a bill. It's going to go into legislation, and possibly be law as early as the end of the year. Uh, welcomed by uh, Una Ring. 0818 96 96 96. You have been voting in your thousands for the best of Cork Awards. Voting is closed now, of course, in, in all categories. And they're doing the calculations and the counting and they're, they're gone to pencil and paper to try and sort it all out. So they can election and count to figure out who's won what. But we'll announce the winners on the 9th of August. That is next Tuesday. There's also a €5,000 media campaign for Cork's 96mm up for grabs. And stay listening to find out if your favourite won in their particular category. In the Best of Cork Awards 22 with localheroes.ie, your place to find trusted gas boiler operators, installers, plumbers, electricians and much more. Only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, there's a lot of people going, hang on a minute, to these Bus Connect and active travel plans. Johnny, Johnny says, I'm a resident of Balifahan all my life. If they think they're going to invade us with a crap idea like this, they have another think coming. It's absolutely ridiculous what they're trying to do. Waste of money. You're better off putting it to good use, like fixing the footpaths around the parish. Some are a disgrace to walk on. Let the engineers come out and survey them rather than just sitting in an office on a computer. Another message says, My kids are going to the Irish school by the library. This cycle lane, I presume this is the one in Ballyfehan as well, this cycle lane is going to take a negative effect on the school children being collected and dropped off. It is not fair. I have no doubt. But that will be a talking point for many weeks and months to come on the various ins and outs of this plan or these plans. 0818 96 96 96. Your thoughts always welcome. Your voice notes in particular to 083 396 96 96. If you're affected by any plan in any area that we haven't touched on, we looked at the one in Ballancolic in detail this morning with Greg and we looked in particular detail to the one on Torrey Top Road and I'm sure there are more. Uh, so as, if you're reading your local plans, and there's something in it that bothers you, um, then do let us know. 0818 96 96 96. When it comes to, you know, teaching your children life skills, there's got to be very few more important than how they handle their money. Be it the couple of quid they get, little smallies, the few quid that they have, bit of pocket money here, there and everywhere, or when they go about getting their first job or whatever. How do they handle the money? How do they deal with the money that people give them? And how do we teach them the life lesson that for every euro you get into your hand, someone's piece of it? And, and how do we teach them the skills to keep as much as they can of it and have it for when they need it? Kel Gallivan, the money mindset coach, has been doing a lot of this recently on Instagram and and other platforms and joins me now. Hi, Kel. It's great to be here, PJ. How are you? Good. It's it's an important life skill for everybody to learn. When do we start teaching our children about minding the pennies and the euros? The short answer to that, I suppose, is as early as possible. Um, and the reason I say that is, I don't know about you, but I remember getting my very first paycheck and my very first job. Going, first of all, where's the rest of it? Um, what do I do with it? And how do you manage it? And you would have had rent and bills and everything. And it can be quite a daunting thing. But if you can start kids as early as possible, just with simple little things, like maybe like a younger child, like giving them, and I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that we are getting a bit more kind of into the, the taps and the cards, but for smaller children, if you can give them a coin and get them to go into a shop and just, it's because it's very multi-sensory and all the coins are different and the paper is different and it's colourful and all of that. And it lets them feel the money and see what it looks like and then get them to hand it over for their little treat or whatever it is, the litre of milk that you're buying and let them see that transaction. That's a really good place to start off with younger kids just to see what it looks like and what money actually does. That's an important point you raise because we're becoming more and more cashless. Um, some, of, some of it's grand, 
some of it we don't like, but we are more and more cashless. And and the the, the, the children that are now four, five, six and seven could feasibly go through life and never actually handle real money. We need to teach them before it's too late. Yeah, I, I think so. And even look, even if if cash isn't an option, but I do think, look, even if it's twenty cent, fifty cent, even once or twice to explain to them, look, this is money, this is whatever. And once they once they see it and experience it, they'll remember it. So when you do transition on to to bigger things, when they get to cars and stuff, it's not as daunting. And I suppose when I say that, like a, a little step between the coins maybe and going to card, because they need to be a, a certain age to be able to get the concept of a card you know, like uh, money charts. And once, once they understand what money is, if they're getting pocket money, for example, you can have a little chart and they color in a little circle or a shape or something for every euro they earn if they have chores or if they're getting a certain amount of pocket money each week. So it's not as esoteric as a card, but it's a nice little transition step to let them see, you know, the money growing on this little chart that's stuck to the back of the kitchen door or something. And then you can either hand them the money or let them, you bring them into the shop and ideally hand them the money when they're still young. Um, if not, you know, say, look, okay, this is how much you have two euro on your chart. This thing is one euro. Maybe how much do you have left? And you know, work it like that. So it becomes, even if they're not physically handling the money, there's a little conversation around it and it makes it a bit more real for them. And they're thinking in their head, but what's this transfer value looking like? Even though they're not thinking of it as transfer value, but they're thinking of it as, you know, I'll get my little sweetie now because I have my money saved up. Yes. You're a believer in pocket money. I am very much a believer in pocket money for loads of reasons. Um, I do think that fundamentals in understanding money just, just flows out over everything. And for a kid that's a little bit older, and I'm going to still try and get people to stick with coins for, for the first good few years of life anyway, till they're about 11 or 12, if possible. Um, and if they're doing chores and things like that, I'll say, yeah, absolutely, give them money for their chores, but take it to the next level. And the next level would look like something like the, the, the three jars and get them to sit down and decorate three simple little jam jars, nothing special, get them to paint them or stick stickers on or whatever, but label one saving, one spending, and one for charity. Right, and you get them to divvy out the money every time they get their chore money or whatever it is. You get them to divvy it out, and the say the spending money that's for spending now because it's important to get a reward for doing your jobs around the house. It's important to get that instant gratification now to go. Oh, well, it was worth it to me to you know put out the bins or whatever it is. So that is important. The the middle jar then is for saving. And saving is for when they're young enough, not necessarily for college, but if they want a particular game or a particular day out or something like that and get them to save up for it with that jar. And I put most of the money in there. And then the third jar, which is actually my personal favorite, if I'm honest, is uh, the charity jar. And that does a couple of things. So one, I think it's really important to let them understand that, you know, there's, there's, there's so many people in need around the world and it builds a bit of altruism and a a bit of generosity of spirit there. But the other side of it, and this is the second win, is it introduces the concept of tax. How? (laughs) Because if you think about it, go back to the first paycheck we kind of mentioned there earlier on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Like you, you, you start a job and you're told, look, this is what your salary is, this is what you get. But then when your actual paycheck comes, it seems an awful lot less than what you actually thought it was in the first place. Yeah. And it just, it just built it. I remember the fright I got when I saw my first paycheck. I was like, where's the rest of it? Um, but it just introduces them to, okay, you might be earning this amount per week, but a little bit has to go back. And you see that tax, that's what pays nurses and teachers and you know keeps the lights on on the road and things like that and it just it teaches them yes you're earning money but you don't necessarily get to keep all of it and that's where the three bars comes from and it just gives them the foundation of of actual money management because that's what most adults have to do they have to spend a bit now ideally save a bit and then obviously tax will get that bit as well and it just it gets that nice and early instilled in them and it hopefully, hopefully we'll get them thinking when they do get their first paycheck, it's not going to be as traumatic, but also it'll go, okay, actually I should put a bit aside for a car, for a whatever, and then I'll enjoy this bit as well. And it helps give them balance and you learn those lessons earlier and it's easier to learn them earlier if you can. The importance of, of, of learning how to save, even if it's only a few few cents. Exactly. And if they do make a mistake when they're younger, let's say all the money gets spent really early. In one sense, isn't it better they, they learn small lessons early than, I don't know about you, but uh, getting caught later when you're older and it's much bigger chunks of money and much bigger stakes when it comes to things like that. But if they can learn early and make the mistakes early with money, that's a much easier way going forward. Now, the question as well that will come up is, okay, so I have to save and I have to know that some of it... When can I spend my money? You see, that's where the, the, What's the, the spending point in having it in. if you can't enjoy it? This is where it's all about balance. And that's where getting in early, say, look, you know, you spend your money now, because particularly with the three jars, they have to spend it that week. And it's teaching them, look, that you, you can have something now, enjoy it, whatever it is, the treat of, of whatever it is that you want. And it just shows them, look, there's your instant gratification. That's your your thank you for doing your chores, doing your job really well, whatever it is. And then it makes sure that they, with the savings side of it, that you are putting a bit away. And it doesn't have to be when you're older, particularly. Like if, if everybody was 
in a position or just tried to save even 10% of their income, something like that. I know that's not, it's easier said than done. I totally get that. Yeah. But if you could and did that over the long term, it, it would allow you to have that little rainy day fund. It would allow you to, you know, to maybe have a little deposit for your car or your mortgage or whatever it is. And just doing the small amounts consistently from childhood yes. will have a really nice impact and make life easier when you're older. So, so learn the skills when you're eight and they should, if you learn them well or taught them well, serve you very well when you're 28 or 38. Absolutely, because it's the same principle. It's just on rinse and repeat. And it's it, you've so much to learn as you get older and so much to learn as you go through life. But if you have something as fundamental as a simple system with money set early and just ingrained early, like walking, talking and running, it is going to take a lot of stress out of your money management when you get older. Are you in favour, lastly, Kel, of paying for chores done? And if the chore isn't done, well, you're not getting that five euro. Um, if I'm really honest, I would. I'm definitely in favour of now not onerous chores. Like it might just be uh, yeah. make your bed or you know simple little thing. Definitely age appropriate, um, and I would definitely encourage something. Let's say you're going to get the pocket money Saturday morning, and you know the bed wasn't made, and you say, look, pocket money is in half an hour now. You know you need to make sure you have your stuff done, and then you get your pocket money. You know, and just encourage them to make sure it's done. And, as soon as it's done then, they'll get their pocket money and off they go. And they'll they'll see that and they'll learn that and they'll go, okay, actually, it is worth it to me to make my bed every day. It is worth it to me to do these things and just encourage the positive behaviour nice and early. Okay, start them. Start them when they're young. Thank you, Kel. Kel Gallivan, the Money Mindset Coach. You'll find her on Instagram. So how young would you think you'd start teaching your children about the value of money? And particularly just that point I raised with Kel at the start. I mean, I'm using my phone now to pay. Did something last week. I had a had a breakfast and a cup of coffee. Uh, I put it seven or eight euro and I just went thick with my phone and I thought, did I ever see the day that I'd be pinging for my breakfast on my phone rather than scraping around in my pockets for whatever couple of coins or note it would take? And I was just thinking... Coming in to talk to Kel, children, I think we need to keep teaching our youngsters about cash because they're going into an increasingly cashless world. Not a world I like, by the way. On the one hand, I'll pay for my breakfast with my phone. On the other hand, I'm not happy about this slide into cashless. Uh, There's a few premises around town that I've been hearing about that will no longer take cash. Well, they will no longer have my custom. If you're refusing cash, then you will no longer have my custom. But that's just me at my stage of development, as it were. But I think, maybe I'm right or wrong, do you agree with me? Uh, my kids are well past this. Now my young fella has a, a Revolut card. My daughter has her own money and her own job and all that. But my young fella has a Revolut card. <laughs> and and But cash Still keep giving the young ones cash. Let them hold a fiver or hold a tenner. Let them hold a couple of euros in their hand so they realise this is what money actually is. It's not some notional concept on your phone or your watch, God help us. Because we don't want them to forget cash. If, 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 if the children forget what cash is, 
then that's what the, those promoting a cashless society would like to happen. 0818 96 96 96. The use of cash should be a choice at all times. If you want to pay cash, you should be allowed to pay cash. Something we'll come back to. But yeah, definitely with, with, the, uh, with businesses around town, any business that I see not taking cash will no longer have my custom. That's just me. You have voted in your thousands. We will make the announcements next Tuesday. Just to remind you, Tuesday, August 9th, we will make the announcements of the winners of the Cork's 96 event Best of Cork Awards. There's also a €5,000 media campaign from Cork's 96 event up for grabs to be won. And you can find out on Tuesday if your favourite has won in the particular category. It's the Best of Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie, your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more. Only on Cork's 96FM. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Rock Against Homelessness, the concert series in aid of Focus Ireland, continues this summer with Cat Dowling playing in Sea Church in Ballycotton on August 19th. Cat will be supported on the night by First Class and Coach and the Burma. Access all areas. The Cork Proms comprises three successive concerts featuring the celebrated Cork Opera House Concert Orchestra and a host of national and international guests. They'll be playing the music of Beethoven, the Beatles and Broadway from the 11th to 18th of August with more information and tickets at corkoperahouse.ie. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. With Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. On Cork's 96FM. I promise I'll tell you this. Um, it's annoying people. In this new housing estate in the UK, Dave, it's, it's called Lodge Hill. And people have been asked to give a commitment in writing that they won't do something in order to get a house in there. Some of them are council houses, some of them are private houses. But in order to get the house in there, you've got to give a commitment not to do something. In writing. Um, I'll tell you what it is. First time I think of it before the news, hopefully before the news. But if not, I'll tell you before the end of the show. 0818-969696. Trevor says, my father-in-law tried to buy a coffee recently and was told cap, tap or card only. He told them he only had cash and to take it or leave it. They took it. What's the legality of a business not wanting to take cash? That's a very good question and one I'd love to explore. Is it, is it legal for a company, service provider, product to refuse cash? Is it actually legal to refuse cash? I know it's legal to refuse a card. A lot of people want to operate a cash-only basis. Some of the businesses that I was in the last couple of weeks over in holidays, some of them were strictly cash-only basis. But is it is it legal to refuse cash? Well, that's something we're going to have to look into uh, over the next while. 0818 96 96 96. We spend a third of our life, approximately a third of our life, tucked up in bed, sleeping. Are we doing enough of it? Are we doing it well? If you work shifts in particular, how is your sleep? Someone said to me 
recently, we're talking about sleep just in, in, in the office here, because uh, I'd said after a few, I was very tired. And I, I brought up this thing that I have that I, I, I only sort of admitted it to myself recently. I probably haven't slept well on a Sunday night in 20 years. And the other night, we came home from holidays after a very long day flying and travelling and dragging and hauling of luggage and stuff. I didn't sleep well at all that night. It's like Sunday night on steroids. Um, sleep was described recently in a thing I was reading as a skill rather than something we have to do. And you can get better at it. You can teach yourself to sleep better. Let's talk to Motti Varghese. Motti is a respiratory therapist, but also a sleep technologist and sleep physiologist. And, and we'll start there, Motti, if we could, please. Is sleep a skill rather than just something we, we, we do as part of our day? Morning. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, good morning to all the listeners as well. I think what I would like to see is to see sleep as a natural process. And it happens no matter what. And all we need to do is to nurture that process by engaging in the right habits or the right behaviors that are associated with sleep. And also keeping the right beliefs about sleep. Because it's when we ha- when we form unhelpful beliefs or dysfunctional beliefs about sleep, we tend to become anxious about it. And as we become anxious, we become alert. And then that results in a poor night's sleep. So we need to focus on three factors. One is optimal habits. But habits alone don't bring a good night's sleep. We also need more helpful, functional beliefs about sleep and also some relaxation practices that help us to be relaxed and calm closer to our bedtime. Shift work in particular, people work in shift. There was a stat on your Instagram that uh, 59% of night shift workers are surviving in less than seven hours and day shift workers, it's a much smaller percentage. Like night shifts, people who have long commutes to work, a long commute makes the the working day much, much longer. Sleep and shifts, how important is that? Uh, it's it's very, very important. What happens with uh, what you mentioned when we have a long commute distance or we work very long hours is we don't have an adequate sleep opportunity. We don't have enough time to sleep. Uh, and in those instances, our sleep uh, quantity will be reduced, not because of the poor habits that we keep, but because of the compulsions of work and the commuting. And in those cases, we can accumulate a sleep debt and the sleep debt can result in fatigue and uh, it will have other consequences if you're engaging in safety critical tasks like driving, if you haven't slept well or if you're not fully rested. Mm. So that's something that we need to be careful about. But when we are working night shift, it is a different type of problem because our sleep phase is quite delayed. If our Let's say, for, in, for instance, if our sleep phase uh, for, for an individual is between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., and suddenly when he has to sleep between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m., it's, a, it's an eight-hour delay in his, uh, eight or nine hours delay in his sleep phase. And that's a, that's a different set of problem. And when we, also, when we work night shift, we also have what we call the circadian misalignment. We are supposed to stay awake during the daytime and sleep at nighttime. And when we try to do the exact opposite of it, it results in the misalignment. And we have to focus more on reshaping the pattern of our light exposure to sleep, to optimize our sleep as much yeah. as we can uh, to sleep during the daytime. I'll come, I'll come to light in a sec, because I know you're, you're a big advocate of controlling sure. the light and how you handle the sure. light. But 
take someone like a guard or a nurse uh, as a particular example, yeah. Motti. Like guards nurse. have to work a certain number of nights. So you could go, or yeah. our nurses the same. You might have one week in four, and you're on nights. Like that's a total yeah. disruption of normality, isn't it? One week in four, yeah. you got to twist your whole pattern around to work nights and sleep by day. That's very hard to get used to. Yes, it is. But what we need to consider then is to gradually adapt to the night shift before we actually start the night shift itself. So in the last, uh, for, for two or three nights before you go on the night shift, start going to bed later instead of going to bed at your usual bedtime of 11 p.m. Do that for, uh, go to bed at 12 midnight for one or two nights and then 1 a.m. for one or two nights and 2 a.m. for one or two nights. So you, you're gradually adapting yourself to sleeping at night, uh, sleeping during the daytime, instead of trying to shift from 11 p.m. to 8 a.m. Mm. So a gradual acclimatization would be would be helpful. And also reducing our light exposure in the last couple of hours of the night shift. And also as we finish the night shift to reduce the light as much as we can, there are safety concerns where people have to take responsibility for, um, and if, you're, if they're feeling very sleepy before they leave work, or maybe take a 10 or 15 minutes now, uh, but try and reduce the light exposure in the morning to protect the sleep hormone that we have uh, at the end of a very long night uh, yeah. and to make use of that to initiate sleep when they get home. Yeah, you talk a lot about light uh, and the control of, of light. Do, do I get the sense from what you say, Monty, that light is the enemy of sleep in a way? Uh, light and darkness gives the body the natural cue. It indicates to the body what time of the day it is. So naturally, if you, if you look at the prehistoric and there's no artificial light exposure, and as the sun said, there was lack of light, and the body identified that as the time to go to bed and sleep, and it made it sleepy, and then sleep uh, followed. And that, that's what we need to consider, that we have to reduce light exposure, at least in the last one or two hours uh, before our bedtime, to send the right signal to the body that it is evening time. So the body will kickstart the production of certain sleep hormones like melatonin, which yeah. is naturally produced in us, uh, and which will make us sleepy and, and results in sleep. I'm going to try and tidy up this phone line a little bit, Monty, because there's a few things that I want to to chat more to you about, particularly light. And we're at that time of the year now where we're in summertime or daylight saving time and all of that. We've more light in the evening and more light in the morning and, and what we might do about that and what you think about something like changing from summer to winter time. Should we actually do that and how it might affect our sleep? I'm just going to, we're just working on tidying up that that phone line. I'm chatting with Monty Varghese. He is a sleep physiologist and an expert in the study of sleep um, based in, 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 um, in St. James's Hospital for a number of years. But uh, yeah, let's, is he back? He is back on, online. More. So yeah. Monty, thanks for that. Thanks for your patience no there. So the, 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 let's deal about we're, we're in the brightest part of the year uh, right now, um, these couple of months. Now, I, I always say to people, I am a creature of the light. I hate okay. I hate the dark of winter. I hate getting okay. up in the dark. I hate coming home in the dark. I love yeah. the bright of summer. But it can affect your sleep. Um, that, that is right. It, it can when we have the very long days. So, so uh, and also it depends on what is our chronotype, whether we are a morning type of people or evening type people or somewhere in the middle. 
uh, and the evening type people will have a tendency to go to bed at a later time and wake up at a later time in the morning. So if they are getting a lot of light exposure in the evening time, the sleep phase is going to be pushed uh, forward or it's going to be delayed further, and which is something that we should try and avoid because 1 a.m. as it is, it's late. Uh, the morning type will usually report difficulty that they're waking up earlier in the morning during the summer months. So we should try and avoid bright light exposure or reduce bright light exposure in the mornings to to make sleep last longer in the morning and reduce light exposure in the evening uh, for the evening type people yeah. to make sure that they can uh, initiate sleep at a reasonable time. It's a strange one because I get up between half past five and quarter to six every morning and I find it so much easier to get up on the bright mornings of spring and summer than I do in the dark mornings of winter time. Yeah, so the, the body clock uh, uh, adjusts itself a little bit in the morning hours, in the summer months, to wake up earlier in the morning, and hence it becomes a little bit easier to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and be energized. Yeah. We're, we're, we're being... Actually, there's a thing. Should we stick to one type of time as in should we stick to summertime as we call it or stick to wintertime have you a view on that um th- there has been talks about that in the eu and there has been polls done on that and um i i think there is value and benefits in sticking to one time what would they be uh the winter time if i can remember correctly mm. Yeah, that's, they talk about the winter time because if we stuck with summertime, like if we stuck with this time, it'll still be dark at quarter past nine in December. There's the problem. Uh, they want Ireland to stick with summertime, um, but we don't. It, it would be not practical for us, I think. Not practical for us. Let And another thing that brings light into the bedroom, of course, Motti, is phones and screens. Um, we're, not, we're not going to go back to where we were, are we? We're, the, the phones are going to be in our rooms for the rest of our lives because there are alarm clocks and everything else. How do we compensate for that? Yeah, I, I think it's a reality, but I think we should definitely make an effort to at least reduce the... Uh, you know, use of any sort of smart screens for the last one or two hours before your bedtime. And it is to actually protect the sleep hormone melatonin that we produce in the last two hours before we fall asleep. So we have a time point called dim light melatonin onset. That's when the melatonin production starts. So for for anyone who, who falls asleep at 11 p.m., their melatonin production starts at 9 p.m. and melatonin responds to light. Uh, light inhibits melatonin and dim light or darkness stimulates the melatonin production so uh, and hence the advice of leaving it for two hours and also the information that we're consuming in the evening hours can stimulate our mind and keep us awake and alert sleep is all about finding the right balance between sleepiness and alertness and if you're sufficiently sleepy and if you're less alert that will help us to get a better night's sleep but if you're consuming all this information whether booking holidays or doing online shopping we're, we're you know, making ourselves feel more alert, which can have a negative effect on our sleep that night. Yeah, you know that thing that happens. It happens to us. It certainly happens to me. You're you're in the say living room and you're having a read of a book and and you're falling asleep into the book. So you put yeah. it away, but right, it's time for bed. And by the time you're at the top of the stairs, you're wide awake again. Yes. So uh, taking that little nap before your bedtime, also very close to your bedtime, is like having a snack before your main meal. And it takes your appetite off. So we are building up our sleep drive or sleepiness, or we can call it our appetite for sleep while we're staying awake. And when we use that, when we take that nap, we're using some of that sleep drive that we were building up. And then we don't have enough time before we 
uh, go to bed again if it is too close to our bedtime. So the general advice will be to avoid any nap for uh, after 4 p.m. I see. I see. And if you're starting to fall asleep, we'll go to bed. Um, that, that's a, an indication from the body that you're sufficiently sleepy and it is um, time to go to bed and sleep. And that is, you know, if it is at, at a reasonably at a reasonably um, late time uh, and closer to your bedtime, yes. What about when you are in bed and you can't sleep? So you're there, it's, it's an hour before you need to get up and you just, not sleep yeah. is gone, you're done. Do you get up? Uh, yes. So the, when we wake up at night, we have one opportunity to return to sleep, and that's in the 20 minutes of waking up. And if you don't fall asleep in that 20 minutes, the chances are that we're going to get more anxious and frustrated, which brings more alertness, and we will stay awake uh, for the rest of the morning. If it is early in the morning or uh, the middle of the night, if it's the middle of the night, we take a long, very long, can take a very long time to return to sleep. So the general advice would be then to get up, leave your bedroom for half an hour and come back and start again. Mm-hmm. And of course, it is difficult, you know, if, if you're waking up at five and if your usual wake time is at 6 a.m. in the morning. But do give yourself an opportunity to, to return to sleep and, you know, be mindful in bed be, uh, without having a lot of um, anxious thoughts and see whether you return to sleep until until 6am. If you have a particular time that you need to get up, and this again is coming from personal experience, sure. a, a while back I changed my time because I was setting the alarm every morning for about 5 minutes to 6 and then I realised I was really sluggish but one morning I had to be in a little, here a little bit early so I set the alarm for 20 minutes earlier and I found, hey it was a lot easier to get up What's yeah. going on there? Yeah, it's very possible that you, you walk up at the end of a sleep cycle uh, when you set the alarm earlier. I'm not asking people, members of public, to uh, set the alarm to an earlier time. But, you know, if we can... Can you experiment, though? The, can you experiment with your getting up time? We, we can. If we can. If we don't set an alarm, uh, and if we wake up naturally at a certain time, that can be uh, at the end of a sleep cycle... And that, that, that would be our usual better. But a lot of us will be carrying a small amount of sleep debt. So if you can take a sleep holidays, you know, a lot of people are taking um, summer holidays. So, you know, don't set an alarm for two or three mornings and see what time you wake up. And after you pay off your sleep debt, you will start waking up at an earlier time. And we can assume that that is your natural wake up time then. And then adjust the alarm accordingly. I see, I see. Of course, stress doesn't help. If you've stress of any kind, it doesn't help you to sleep. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't because we, re- we release those stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, which brings alertness always. Um, and, and it, yeah, so it's, it, we want to feel sleepy. We want to feel calmer and relaxed. And that's why the relaxation practices before our bedtime will always be helpful to uh, reduce the effect of that and be more calmer. Mm. And why, why, why can you suddenly wake up all stressed at three o'clock in the morning? Why? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes our brain gets conditioned to wake up at a certain time in the morning. And when we wake up uh, at three a.m., for instance, we'll have all these thoughts on what to do the next day or things that happened in the past. And and it is essentially becoming a time to have a meeting with ourselves. And what we need to try and do is to actually we we need a meeting, but not at three a.m. in the morning. So move the meeting time to another time. Uh, the evening before. So we advise people to engage in some journaling practices to reflect on their day and also make plans for the next day and also rationalize their anxieties while they're doing the journaling um, okay. early in the evening the previous okay. uh, the previous evening. Yeah. So if you find your sleeping disturbed 
by something that you could have written down during the day, then write it down. It's, it's a process of putting our day to bed before we go to bed at night, essentially. So once we can deal with all those thoughts, it will help to reduce the intensity of those thoughts, at least, even if they don't go away fully. And over several weeks, your brain will learn that you know, three in the morning is not the best time to have a meeting with ourselves, and there is a set time uh, for that. And that, that, that helps always. Sleeping pills, lastly. Are they any good? I remember one time asking a doctor for one, and he said, hold on a while now, because we're having trouble sleeping. He said, do you want to sleep or do you want to rest? Yeah, yeah. Um, the sleep medication, there are different views on sleep medications from what I have seen when it is prescribed at the right time. You know, sleep is also about the confidence in sleeping. And once we lose that confidence, the anxiety creeps in and then it becomes difficult to return to natural sleep without, without help. So sleep medications are helpful if they are given at the right time before the individual loses the confidence in sleeping. But most of the times what happens is people try and experiment and try to improve their sleep by themselves and before they look for help. So that that is always a difficulty. But cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a non-medication method to treat sleep difficulty um, without using medications and naturally as well. And that's what we do in the sleep therapy clinic. Yes, indeed. People can see more of that and more of your work and your research uh, at that website, sleeptherapy.ie. Monty Varghese, Dr. Monty Varghese, thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion Night. We spend a lot of time sleeping, so every so often we should probably talk about the concept of sleep. Yeah, on those summertime stroke winter times i love this time of year the later in the evening that it's bright and the earlier in the morning that it's bright i love it i hate the winter time but if we're going to stick with one time zone as it were then we probably should stick with winter time but they whoever they are want ireland to stick with summertime and the middle of europe to stick with the winter time but if we stick with the summertime and if we don't knock the clocks back at the end of October, we would be faced with, say, middle of December here or start of January. It is still dark at a quarter past, I mean pitch, at nine o'clock in the morning. So is that what we want? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Not to mind the fact that you probably have two time zones on the one island. But let's not even go there. Good morning, Tommy Tiernan. There, there has to be a book in you, Tom. Like, there really does. Back in the late 1990s, I had an idea for a novel on the way to a meeting with the publishers. And I don't know if they've ever said this to anybody else before. They said it was unpublishable. Wow. So I know that my, my gift really is not in... Like, even when I was a kid, I would often go in to school with all my homework in my mouth. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool exclusively Skoda in the city find your next car online at noeldc.com open 24-7 The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-96-96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Do you remember I was giving out there before my holidays about the cost of using the parking app on your phone? Do you remember the cost of parking went up anyway? Uh, literally overnight. Now the council had put it in the budget, but who read that, as it were? And it went up to 250 a, a session overnight. And then I was cribbing about the cost of using the app where if you go to top up your credit on the app, whether you give it a tenner or twenty or thirty, whatever you want to give it, they take a euro off you. That's one charge. The other charge was that when you park using the app, and I've just done it there during the news, when you park during the app, they take twenty cents off you for the privilege of a text to remind you when you're parking is over. And I was giving out yards about this and I happened to have Councillor John Maher on the line at the time and he said he'd look into it and he did and he got me some information. I'll tell you more about it tomorrow or the day after. But there's a reason why we're being charged this and I said, John, it's still not good enough. This is ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. So I'll come back to that. Just one or two more things to clear up here. Tracy agrees with me on the cashless society thing uh, I won't, any place that refuses to accept cash will not have my custom and, and there are probably businesses listening to me downtown going, no you're a smart Alec now you know, you come in here, if you want what we have badly enough you you will pay cash I want the choice to pay cash I, I don't want that taken off me, I may well pay with my card I may well pay with my phone, I'm quite comfortable doing both, but if I wish to use cash, then I think I should be able to use cash. On the whole traffic thing and road connect and active connect, whatever you call it, bus connect and uh, cycle lanes and scooters, etc., etc., etc. Bernie says, I was nearly knocked down by someone on an e-scooter near the GPO. The speed was ridiculous. They were wobbling on the thing. If I fell, I'd hop my head off the ground. It doesn't bear thinking about I yelled after for to use the legs <laughs> like the rest of us. Oh, listen, e-scooters, I've been on about them and on about them and on about them and on about them. And lads, we ain't seen nothing yet. I've seen where this whole e-scooter thing is going. I have been somewhere where the Coke bike, or as we call them, or we used to call them the Coke bike, the, the TFI, you know, the borrow bikes. That's I've, I've been somewhere where that's been replaced with scooters. It's mayhem, absolute mayhem. But 0818969696. Before I go to Rory, I'll tell you about this. I'm saying it all morning. This estate in Kent, uh, it's it's near Rochester, and it's an estate of 68 houses. Some one bedroom, two bedroom, right up to five bedroom, and 17 of them will be affordable houses. But. The location is near a very important natural habitat for nightingales. What page? Nightingales. Birds. So in order to be able to get one of these houses, which borders onto the important habitat for nightingales, you have to give a commitment that you will not own a cat. You will not keep a cat. That's the rule. I won't be living there anyway, for sure. 
0818969696. That's almost something that would make into a Rory's Stories sketch. It's the kind of mad daft thing that Rory O'Connor does. How are you, fella? Good morning. How are you, PJ? How are things? Good, good to chat with you. I was only watching a few of your your later sketches this morning. I loved the one about the fella filling up all the containers with the diesel. <laughs> Oh yeah, true story, true story. <laughs> but you're doing a show now. How are you going to turn these short videos into a stage show that comes to the Opera House on the 25th September? Yeah, so I suppose the video is just a great opportunity to kind of get your name out there. And like with the way social media is now, it's kind of the, you know, a lot of people do kind of content. So I've been doing it for a good few years. Now, and I went, I suppose I went on tour um, back in 2019 and I done, I done a big show then. So basically, it's like any storytelling is, is, is my strength. Like, you know, it's kind of always been my strength in storytelling. And the videos, you know, the videos are good cracking off, but you can't beat the stage, obviously, PJ. And yeah. like with the, with, with the whole pandemic, you know, that stopped that happening, like, um, you know, I'm buzzing to get back out again. Like, I had a, I had a great experience over there on Monday. I was... I was lucky enough to MC the Mead Ladies Homecoming down in Navan and there was, geez, there must have been over 5,000 people in the fair green in Navan and just to get that buzz again of kind of, you know, having the mic in hand and knowing that, like, you know, you could be liable to say that and then that kind of on the knife edge all the time and the crack, like, you know, and just, you miss that high, so that's why I'm really looking forward to getting on the, getting on the road again. Yeah, I think for 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 comics, for for artists of any description or any genre, it must have been a terribly hard couple of years. Ah, of course, yeah. Like as I said, like I done that tour in 2019, and you know, I felt it went, it was very successful, and I was like, right, I'm ready to go now, and and can't wait. Like you know, and learned a lot about myself and like what kind of style comedy works for me and stuff like that. And, then, yeah, bang, the whole the whole world just says, you know, turn upside down and, you know, go back to kind of March, April 2020, like, like you couldn't even envision anyone being in the room together, never mind a couple of hundred people or whatever. So um, it is it, it is a relief to have it back and, and I think people are looking forward to it. They are out and about now, festivals and gigs and concerts and just, just getting back to life really yeah. and, and, and um, that's, that's certainly what we all want to do. We don't hear any word of... Another wave here or another wave there, none of that. Like, please God, them days are gone. Yeah, so what kind of stories and songs, I believe? There's a few songs in there. So is it a, is it a connection to different stories? Is it your observations on the lockdown? Um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, you're touching on a bit of everything there. So it's kind of, like, I want people to experience everything. So, like, you know, the material I'm working on, like, you know, obviously it's hard to get away from looking back. And, like, I wrote a book about the looking back in the pandemic there uh, a few months ago. So there's a lot of funny stuff. And it's only when I was writing the book, I was I was laughing to myself at some of the, the restrictions that were handed out to Irish people. And I'd be thinking, like, who came up with these these scenarios of, like, what, the what, nine-year-old what, what, what kind of ones in particular caught your eye that you said, that's well, mad? Well, the essential, non-essential, like, blew my mind. Like, you know, you go into your Duns or your Tesco's and they'd be tape over certain things and, and not tape over others. And I had a, a funny scenario in my own Tesco where I went down and I was looking for nail clippers, but the nail clippers were non-essential, but, but scissors were essential. And I asked the latest as well, like, do you expect me to cut my, my, my toenails with scissors? Like, do you know what I mean? I'll chop them off. And she's like, well, unfortunately, that's the way we were told. So <laughs> mind-boggling, you know, and that's true. And, 
Um, you know, another one like is you know going into walking into a Chinese and uh, I said, like, you know, can I order whatever chicken curry? So we only take orders over the line or over the phone. I says, well, sure, I'm here now. Like, well, they're not ours now. No, we can't take any. Orders. So what do you want me to do? You'll have to leave and ring us. So I literally walked outside the Chinese and looked through the glass window and rang the Chinese. And the one, Hello, how are you? And me looking at her from 10 foot away going, uh, how's it going? I'm looking for chicken curry and prawn crackers. Yes, yes, it's like an Elsa. I think the conversation never went on with me. And then I walked back in and she gave me a smile as much as say she'd only seen me. Like, you know, and I was like, ah, oh, here, the world is gone. So plenty of kind of stories like that. But also, um, you know, I, 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 I have three young kids uh, all under 10. So, you know, that's another life of its own as people yeah. can relate. So oh, there's yeah. a hell of a there's a hell of a lot of comedy stories relating to that. So, but also on the night, like with this tour, I have a special guest each night, and I'm delighted to have um, Mr. Ray Goggins, uh, the the main, we'll say, DS in, in Ultimate Hell Week. He's, he's a cork man originally yes. himself. So, um, so Ray's going to be my special guest. So, like basically, how it's ironing out is the first half. I want everyone laughing, um, you know, at my expense, and I suppose the expense of Irish culture and some of that. But then. Second half is going to be, you know, an open, honest conversation with Ray. Like, we've done a tour called Resilience there. Uh, after that, hell, we, we never got to the Cork Opera House because uh, there was no dates available. So I'm delighted to have Ray as my guest so people yeah. can get and, and the Ray, Ray's been on the show yeah. here, Rory, with me, and he's a fascinating character. So, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. so like I said, so I'm hoping that everyone comes. Well, you'll, you'll laugh, you'll take something from our conversation, like around kind of mindset and resilience and... Yeah, I, I worked hard on the guitar, PJ, during the lockdown, so there's a few Irish classics that I'll, I'll finish the night with just to kind of have people in that good form. And well, maybe are, go you doing them as they were do- are you doing them as they were supposed to be done, or are you doing them as you want to do them? Are, they, are you rewriting them? Uh, no, like, I listen to be a bit of improv, naturally, what, what I do, but no, you're looking at your... Yeah, as I call the residence bar of an Irish wedding, kind of a, 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 a you know your your standard kind of stuff. But it's just the kind of for people because I know how much yeah a bit of crack exactly because I want I wanted people to really take something from the night and All that's right. what I'm trying to add in as much as I can. So really looking forward to getting down to Cork now in September. All right, listen, we look forward to seeing you when you do, Rory O'Connor. Rory's stories, uh, the 25th September at Cork Opera House. Tickets on sale now for a night of laughter, inspiration, enjoy. Sounds like fun, actually. Sounds like a whole pile of fun. We'll stick that in the diary. 0818 96 96 96. Votes coming in still for Best Cork, but they are closed. People were asking me just over the weekend, PJ, how do you vote? You can't. Closed. Gone. But we are calculating the votes and tallying the votes and looking at the... It's like it's like at a county council election count. Pencils and papers and hair being pulled out and everything. We will announce the winners of the Best Cork Awards on Tuesday the 9th. That's next Tuesday. And there's also a €5,000 media campaign from Cork's 96FM to be won. So, did your favourite win? Will your favourite win? Did you vote enough times? Best Cork Awards 2022 you'll find out on Tuesday it's with localheroes.ie your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers electricians and much much more the awards brought to you only by Cork's 96FM Sunday mornings Cork's 96FM brings you 
Interviews with actors and theatre directors, concert news and show reviews, live studio performances and festival roundups, exhibition info and the very latest film news. The Arts House. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Keeping Cork families happy and healthy with the new season's queen. Cork's 96 FM. Just wanted to mention once again that group of workers. It's a very complicated problem that they have. They're city and council water workers and they took to the streets yesterday uh, to protest against what they're calling a removal of democracy. Their future of their employment is tied up in a strange kind of an agreement and they are accusing their union, SIP2, of going against them. Um, now, I've been through it with a number of them on the air before, and it's, it's, it really does go over the head of the average Joe what this is all about. But it's to do with service level agreements and, and who they'll actually be working for and all of that. But they're very concerned about it and they're very worried about their union's response to their concerns. Um, and so they, they, they had a protest yesterday and just, just acknowledged the fact that they had it and I have no doubt we will talk about it again I, I understand what they're aggrieved about but I'm far from qualified to remind you of what it is so next time that they're on with me we'll get them to do it again um, they're, they're just concerned about the future of their jobs and we're thinking of them and in these tough times for anyone to be concerned about the future of their job and the future of their working conditions is worthy of mention this is one here Hi PJ, as a wheelchair healthcare worker the work I've done since COVID has just been brushed aside with regard to the bonus payment I feel we've been discriminated against as other sections of our line of work have been recognised and we're only to be stepped upon time and time again. It's degrading for me and my family and of other workers. That's the pandemic. But please tell me, please someone tell me that everybody who was entitled to the pandemic payment bonus has now got it. Please. I'm almost afraid to say that because we did it many times over the last few months and we're inundated with people. No, I didn't get it. I'm not entitled to it. They promised me this. Please tell me that at this point of 2022, something that was mentioned in January has been paid uh, by by August. 0818969696. Now, getting a diagnosis of something like ADHD for your child you know you're headed down a certain path with your child and you know that your child's future and you know their well-being and their life and their schooling and is going to be affected in a particular way by their ADHD and how you deal with it but imagine being an adult and being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult how does that affect your life that's what happened to Mike Ryan um, he's uh, involved in theatre, based here in Cork. Mike, you were diagnosed with ADHD. Do you mind me asking what age you were? Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, I was 31 when I got my official diagnosis, but I'd known since I was about 30. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and how did it come... How, first of all, how did you come to, to realise that something was different? Yeah, I suppose I've always felt, what I've been saying lately is that I always thought it was a bit weird, but I never thought I was different. Um, 
a friend of mine suggested um, the summer of 2020 that I might have it because they had just been diagnosed and um, asked, you know, suggested I should get look into getting a diagnosis. And the more I looked into it, the more I read about it, the more it all sort of started to resonate with me. And the more I started to realize that it was quite uh, obvious, the more I learned about the condition. So I went to my GP and asked for a referral and to mental, local mental health services to try and get an assessment. But I knew I was heading down a long road there. Yeah. How long did it take you to meet someone? Well, my initial referral was actually refused by uh, the local mental health service. Um, they sent me back a letter which said that essentially unless I was psychotic or suicidal, um, they wouldn't see me, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, so I went down a private route for a little bit and I spent a lot of money to get private assessments done and they were all confirming what I already thought. But that was also taking quite a long time. And in the meantime, I had moved house. So I thought somebody had suggested to me that maybe my new location, I might have a better chance of being referred to somewhere that could, um, you know, give me an official diagnosis. And I got very, very lucky. And my second referral ended up, um, I got a call a few weeks later and I was in and I was in a three hour assessment with a psychiatrist who confirmed all my suspicions, said it was a definitive diagnosis. And I left that day with a prescription and with a plan on how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you sent me some detail of, of why they wouldn't see you in, in the first place, yeah. you know, and you just wanted to know why you felt so different and you wanted to put... Did you want to put a name on something, Mike? Did you want to sort of say, right, well, here's why I feel different? Did well, and I suppose I had, like, what, the more I read into it, the more I realised that a lot of the issues I had struggled with uh, throughout my whole life, really, and especially during my 20s and my teenage years, uh, could all be connected back to this condition. And that if I could get that treated, that it might be able to solve some of the sort of um, all of the lingering problems that I had developed. You know, you spend your whole life, I suppose, um, it's it's hard from the inside to notice that there's anything different about yourself. I just thought that I was, uh, I sort of had this voice in my head the whole time telling me that I wasn't trying hard enough, right. uh, constantly going around my head. And that was the reason that I wasn't succeeding where other people around me were. I didn't think I was in any way different to other people. Um, in my 20s, I was diagnosed with depression and with anxiety, which is really, really common for people with ADHD. Um, but they're actually symptoms rather than root causes yes. uh, a lot of the time. So I never really felt that my depression was that bad or my anxiety was that bad, that there was something else kind of happening, you know. So I was keen to get to the bottom of that. And it had sent me to very dark places over the years. So I suppose that's why the response I got from um, CUH was really disheartening because, uh, you know, it essentially said unless I was suicidal that they wouldn't see me. But I mean, that's because I had my mental health under control. By the time I was 30, I had had a lot of support for different things. Um, and there's a lot of people who don't have that, you know. Um, I was lucky that I my mental health was quite strong, but it was yes. this is something that was impacting me day in and day out in a very uh, constant way. And you know when you finally got the diagnosis then and I remember I have, mm -hmm. I have a great friend who was diagnosed with autism in his 40s and I remember him saying to me mm -hmm. at the time he said do you know PJ it answered so many questions about my life did you have an experience like that? Yeah and I think uh, most people who get a diagnosis in their adulthood have that experience you sort of play the film back and you look back over your life and lots of things start to make sense um, my friends all throughout my teenage years and throughout my college years used to make fun of me because I always had a can of Red Bull in my hand 
you know, uh, there's different things that, you know, that was me trying to stimulate myself, not realizing it, but caffeine is a stimulant. So that was actually me trying to help myself concentrate. It wouldn't make me hyper or anything. It would just make me calm down, if anything. Um, you know, and you sort of start to grieve for how you treated yourself throughout all those years. And there a lot of people who get a late diagnosis of ADHD talk about the grief of looking back and how awful you are to yourself and how much self-blame you have. And everything sort of does start to click into place. And even since this day, I'll remember things or I'll do something and it'll sort of click in my head. Oh, I, I know why I do that now, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, it is a, it's, it's quite a roller coaster. My psychiatrist, who's fantastic, like, told me that that was what happened. She said that you're going to experience a lot of, like, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster for a while as you start right. to really look back over all this stuff. You is know? it that you, you now look back, Mike, and, and you see sort of, shall we say, negative experiences in, in, in certain aspects of your life that might not have happened had you known about your ADHD? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, uh, definitely negative experiences. You know, ADHD causes impulse control issues. You know, um, you t- people tend to self-medicate. I definitely would have drank a lot in my 20s. Um, and there's also, I mean, there's a reason why if the prison population uh, worldwide, they reckon about uh, 20 to 40 percent of people in prison have ADHD. Mm. You know, it causes you to make terrible decisions, you know, and it's yeah, it's incredibly high in prison populations worldwide uh, in the general public it's still quite high uh, ADHD Ireland uh, thinks that it's somewhere between 2.5 and 4.4 percent mm. and to put that in perspective if you were to fill Parky Cueve with 45,000 people which is its capacity then even at 2.5 percent that's over a thousand people in that stadium that have ADHD and which is unfortunate because if you live in that catchment area and you try to get a referral, you're going to get a rejection from the local mental health authority like I did as well. I see. Yes. And and how do you, I mean, do you live with it now? Do, is there something you can do for it or is it just there? Mm-hmm. I suppose that's the thing about ADHD and why it's such a pity that um, services aren't there for it. And it's kind of a lottery where you get referred to because it's one of the most treatable conditions on the planet. Oh, really? They've been researching it since the 40s or 50s it's a, in 80 to 90 percent of cases it's just a matter of taking uh, for me i take one pill a day and it's a stimulant medication and it just has changed my life along with the knowledge that i have adhd and working other supports into you know my work and stuff mm-hmm. i have a day job in ucc my colleagues here have been incredibly helpful i work in the access office so they understand the first thing they asked me when i told them was what can we do to help yes there are combinations you can make but even just the medication itself it's really well researched and it's very very simple and it just it makes my life so much easier. I had to come off it for a period in January and it was, I was overwhelmed with how um, different it was because I was suddenly remembering what it was like before I had the medication, you know? Right. Uh, it's a very, like, now, not all cases are that easily solved, sure. but for the vast majority of people, it's a case of taking one medication and it can make a huge difference. You can only refer to, to your own case as it were. So take yeah. something in, in the average working day that mm-hmm. maybe post-diagnosis as opposed to pre-diagnosis something that yeah. would have overwhelmed you in the course of a working day working day is it that it now doesn't or that you you know what to do to uh, you know to make sure that it won't overwhelm you um, it's a bit of a mix really I suppose uh, what it helps you with is staying on task. I find it a lot easier if I pick something to do to stay on that and not get distracted. Um, you know, and that alone makes my life an awful easier. Whereas previously, I would have needed, you know, a deadline 
line looming over me to get me started on something or I would need, you know, some sort of a, a like a big push or a big amount of pressure to get started on a task, whether it's writing a report or, you know, getting stuck into some sort of like uh, admin duties. Um, so it's still difficult. It still takes me a lot more effort but it's just easier to get started and to get stuck into it, you know. Uh, and that alone, just removing that barrier has made things so much easier. Are you better now at focusing on details, say, than you used to be? Um, yeah, I, I am better, but it's still quite difficult. You know, the medication makes things easier, but it doesn't kind of make my brain work the same as a normal person's. I still struggle a lot. I have to do a lot of arts applications for funding, working in my theatre work. And I mean, that's patently designed, not designed for my brain because it requires attention to detail, it requires, um, you know, budgeting, clarity of vision, a lot of organization, a lot of forward planning to make sure you don't miss deadlines. And then when you work in the arts, you do a lot of rejections, no matter what. And uh, my, I'm also not really equipped for that. There's a thing called rejection sensitive dysphoria that a lot of people with ADHD have. So if I get a rejection, it almost physically hurts me and it's you, really overwhelming. You I remember getting a rejection email. Yeah, yeah, and I take it very personally, and I, I can't help but do that. And I remember getting one, I had set up a series of applications last year, and I think I got about six or seven rejections in a row, and the last one really crippled me. And I I found I wasn't able to look at anything to, like an application for about two months. I got complete burnout because it had taken me so much more effort to get the applications in than when I was getting the sort of rejections back, which is part of the course in the arts, you know, you have to deal with them. Mm. But it's just a system that's not really... Um, well designed for people whose brains work slightly differently you know coming back to your experience of trying to get checked and assessed for anybody mm-hmm. who is concerned about themselves and who think that they might mm-hmm. be uh, or might have or might be exhibiting some signs of adhd they'll be listening to your experience and they'll say well you know i went looking for a referral he went looking for a referral and he got told no we're not doing that with you what advice would you give them mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's it's a, a very diff- that's I suppose part of the reason why I agreed to come on because it, the supports aren't really there. I think there's only three adult ADHD hubs in the country: one in Dublin, one in Galway, one in Limerick. Um, you're heading down a very tough road, and it's a very solvable issue. My advice, I suppose, would be go to your GP, talk to your GP about it, and see if you can get a referral to a local mental health service. Aside from that, I've heard of people traveling to other countries to get diagnoses. I've heard of people going privately and spending massive amounts of money trying to get a diagnosis. Um, you know, there is ADHD Ireland is a great support. They have some great advice on their website. Uh, there's a support group on Facebook as well. I think it's called uh, ADHD Ireland Support Group. Um, there's some advice there, but to be honest, it's just full of people who are having an awful time trying to get diagnosis. Well, I wish, I wish you well. Yeah. You're post-diagnosis now and you've got your medication. I'm glad it's going well for you. Uh, and anybody else who wants to find out more can follow your blog and, and all of that. Mike Ryan, thank you very much. Um, diagnosed recently with ADHD. Life-changing diagnosis. Simple to treat, in his case. Simple to treat and explains a whole lot uh, about his personality that used to bother him before. Thanks, Mike. 0818 96 96 96. Kira was on. I I worked at CUH throughout the pandemic, but because I worked through an agency, we're not entitled to the pandemic payment. So, yeah, agency work. <laughs> what they're saying there, basically, Kira, is agency work isn't as important, which is absolute baloney. That's so unfair. That's so unfair. If you were an agency nurse, for example, through the pandemic, 
You're not entitled. That's ridiculous. Uh, the, the, it's kind of different to what I was asking, though. The question I was asking was, anyone who actually was entitled, have they got it? Um, Kira, unfortunately and wrongly, wasn't actually entitled. But if you were entitled and you didn't get it, have you got have you got it yet? Anyone in that particular bracket? Can we just talk? The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696 on Corks 96 FM. Now something that couldn't be done over the last couple of years, at least first not done at all in 2020. Um, and done sort of only after the fashion in 2021 was Cork Heritage Open Day, which kicks off the start of Heritage Week. And once again, Cork's 96 men proud to be media partners of Cork Heritage Open Day, joined by Neve Toomey, who's the Heritage Officer of Cork City Council. It's a great event, Neve. I remember being part of it, showing people around this building a number of years ago. And we're in full effect again for 2022. Good morning. Good morning and thanks very much for having me on the show, PJ. Yeah, we're absolutely thrilled. It's um, been nearly three years now since we've had a live event. So uh, we're very excited about it. And um, I think a lot of the building owners and the people who are organising events, (coughs) walks and talks, are really thrilled to be back in real life, as they say, um, again. So we have about 30 historic buildings open all over the city for one day only, free of charge. Yeah. People get an opportunity to go in behind the scenes and sneak a peek and and see uh, what's happening behind the scenes in our fantastic uh, built heritage. Yeah. I'm, lo- I'm looking at some of the places that are yes. open. Um, the Quaker mm-hmm. Meeting House, that's the old right. savings yes. bank, the Courthouse, St. Finbarr's yes, Cathedral, right. the Masonic <clears throat> Yeah, we have. Yes, they're open as well uh, for for members of the public. And um, I suppose the Quaker Meeting House is very interesting because since they were last open, they have done a very interesting extension to their building. So I think a lot of people will be very interested to see that. And of course, they have their graveyard um, as well, which is a beautiful, quiet space in right in the middle of the city. Um, it's kind of exciting to see that kind of green, quiet place in, in a very busy uh, city centre. Mm. Um, so yes, and we um, again have... Um, uh, the AIB in the South Mall, which is a very historic building and beautiful um, designs. Um, and um, we have um, the naval vessel, yeah, the George Bernie Shaw. Shaw. Now, we haven't had a naval vessel for a while, obviously, because of COVID. Before that, the Navy were very busy um, working uh, with um, uh, rescuing migrants. And they were also doing uh, some work in relation to uh, uh, drugs and all those kinds of uh, scary things that they get involved in. So they weren't available. So we're really excited to have them there. And that's always a very popular spot, especially with children. You've got some great talks or lectures I see there one that one brilliant one in St Peter's uh, the great uh, Chalky White Jerry White uh, about Victoria mm-hmm. Barracks uh, I've, I've chatted with Jerry about that his knowledge is extensive Absolutely, yeah. He's 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 such um, a mind of information, and Jerry has a way of telling a story that makes it very accessible to everybody and makes it very exciting. Yeah, he's great. And there's a few more. You've got a few a few other talks to you've got one out in Ballancolic Regional Park on the gunpowder yes. mills now all the and details are on a website aren't they 
they are. They're all on corkheritageopenday.ie. Um, I suppose uh, we also have a page on that website that lists everything that's happening for the rest of Heritage Week. As you know, Cork Heritage Open Day um, kickstarts the Heritage Week. We participate in the National Heritage Week every year and uh, that's um, organised and coordinated by the Heritage Council. So we're delighted to be partners with them on these events. So Bal and Colleague in particular are doing lots of things throughout uh, the, the week. But yes, uh, Frank Donaldson will be giving a talk on the day in um, about uh, the gunpowder mills, which is a fascinating story um, in the regional park. So okay. that, that'll be very interesting. All right, listen, uh, kicking off uh, Heritage Week is the Heritage Open Day, heritageweek.ie, for all of the information. And as the 96M, proud media partners of Heritage Open Day for 2022. Thank you to Neve Toomey, who's Heritage Officer with Cork City Council. 0818 96 96 96. I promise I will come back to you on the charges from that parking app. Because I want to dig a bit deeper into it, which I will do. But uh, here's another one that's back. Another great show, great event that's back. I came across one of these quite by accident a few years ago. We were out on a Sunday afternoon for a drive, as you do. And we saw some, this was in, on Barry Row down in, in Carrigtool. And we, we came across what looked like fun activity in one of the local parks. And we got out of the car kids wanted an ice cream, I wanted to stroll around and see what was going on, the curiosity got the better of me. And there were all these fellas reenacting battles and wars in the field like, it was like a festival it was great fun and I stood there for a while marvelling at it all. Uh, the Cork City Military Show takes place this weekend at the showgrounds in Curraheen Road in Bishopstown, 6th and 7th August and over 100 people taking part reenacting various things. Martin McCree is the organiser. Martin, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. As I said, I came across this quite by accident a number of years ago. I had no idea that so many people were indulging in a hobby like this. It is. I mean, it's 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 quite a popular hobby. Well, at least it was a popular hobby. Unfortunately, when events had to shut down due to COVID, it kind of we couldn't do anything, and it, it's lost a bit of momentum. But hopefully, this weekend we'll see uh, some of that momentum re-established. So, so, what's the plan for the weekend at the Corrigan? So, the plan for the weekend is that we will have approximately twenty groups there or thereabouts, and and the groups consist of reenactors, everything from the period that my group represents, which is first century Romans, all the way up to World War Two. So there'll be Germans, American groups, British groups from World War Two, Vikings, etc. Each one of them sets up a camp. They'll have their equipment specific to the area, uniforms, helmets, weapons, etc. Uh, and they'll put on living history displays. And then there'll be an arena in which groups take turns to go in and give talks or to give demonstrations or to reenact battles. How did you get into a hobby like this, Martin? Oh, God, how did I? Um, probably um, in a drunken haze or something like that, but um, <laughs> many years ago. But no, I, I always had an interest in Roman history, and I suppose that's what drew me to it. And I started Roman, a Roman group going back in 2005, and I didn't think anybody else would be interested, but they were, and some more fell in. Um, at that stage in Ireland, of course, reenactment was relatively small. There were very few groups, very few uh, shows on. At the time, the only real show on was was in uh, in um, down in Wexford, uh, run by a guy called Joe O'Toole. It was a great show at the time, actually. 
Um, but the, the, the hobby became quite popular. It's very popular in the UK, mm. especially World War II era. Um, but as I said, how I got into it, it's, it's I, as I said, I, I, I must have been on something at the time to get into a crazy <laughs> hobby like this. Yeah. The, 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 I suppose the one thing I should say with a hobby like this, you, you actually will never have money for anything else. So <laughs> it's great for yeah. If you want to get your teenager, make sure that they're, they're they're occupied and they can't have money for anything else. Reenactment is the sport for them. What I found fascinating the day I discovered it by accident down in in, in Carry Tour was the little I always describe them as mini museums that are set up, and that's essentially what they are. Spend hours that's, just browsing. Yeah, and you know, some people would with those little mini museums will contain. You know, in our case, we don't have anything from the first century uh, AD. But a, a lot of the, the groups down there, especially the World War II groups, would have a lot of World War II memorability, memorabilia, et cetera. Uh, and, and, you know, they have a great interest, an intense interest in, in what they do. And they, they love to talk and explain. And, and for children, it's great for children because they can come along, they can see the equipment, they can talk to somebody in uniform, they can try on a uniform, they can try on a helmet, you know. So it's very engaging for children, yeah. in spite of the fact that it is a military show. Yeah, and I suppose people might be here, oh, should we really be exposing children to military activity? But it's not really. It's just, it's like a history, it's like a history lesson, really. Well, it's history focused. It's military history focused. You can't change history. I mean, history isn't there for us to like. Yes. History is there for us to understand, to see and understand. And and yes, we reenactors, you know, we have an interest in in. In, in in my case, ancient conflicts and war, but that's been the human condition for time and memorial. So that's not going to change. Indeed, in, indeed. Now you have a charity element to the show: Animal Care Society benefiting. We do for the Animal Care Society, um, and the Animal Care Society is that there, there, we we used to run. We always ran it for a charity, but we used to run it for some of the larger charities. But the, the, what I found is there's 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 a significant number of events been run for events like Marymount, etc., which of course is extremely worthy, but. The smaller charities who do great work don't get a look in. So we chose the Animal Care Society because they're looking after 100 plus animals really on a shoestring budget. They had to close their charity shop in, in Toker due to COVID. So, you know, we, we give as much as we possibly can to the chosen charity. In the last few years, it has been the Animal Care Society. And I suppose I have a soft spot for animals, particularly yeah. animals that are uncared for. Yeah, so... All proceeds going. It's open from 11 till 5. Adults attend our children and uh, pensioners of five or family. Family ticket for 20. It's the Cork City Military Show, 6th and 7th August. That's this coming weekend. Thank you very much, Martin McCree. Neve was back on from the City Council Heritage Office to say that they also have hard copy brochures available for Cork Heritage Open Day. She wants me to mention that. Happy to do so. Also, can I remind you, if you needed reminding, that there's far more to us than just this radio station. Pop onto the app and you'll find the Fit Mix, you'll find the Hit Mix from Saturday, you'll find the Premier League live and the fresh new music non-stop and of course the best of the Premier League go the, the, the app you can play it all on your smart speaker or just pop onto the website at 96fm.ie it is all there for you that's it the programme today edited by Fergal Barry produced and researched by Richard Vickery we'll see you tomorrow just after nine they can Wayne Hilton Wayne Hilton the on Cork's 96FM 
Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With CarMax Used Cars Supermarket. Dublin Road for Moy. Great deals on hundreds of cars. Just a short drive from the tunnel. Visit C-A-R-M-A-X. CarMax.ie. On Cork. 96 FM.